0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com
1: people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and the Lit Club. This is Tyler Bell, the author, writer, creator, host of the West Side Fairy Tales. If you're here and you're new, welcome. Welcome to the show. This is not one of the normal fiction parts of the show. This is um, just a quick, or not even quick really, but just a uh, sort of off-the-cuff discussion podcast where I talk about stuff. Um What's going on in my life, what's going on with the stories, and of course, things that I've read, listened to, played, all that sort of stuff recently. It's really just a place to come hang out. If you're on a drive, chill out, listen to me talk about stuff, yell at me, get online afterwards and and tell me I'm right or wrong. (laughs) But man, I've been trying to do this intro a million times. I've been kind of going back and forth. Trying to figure out what to talk about. I want to be thankful for those of you who may not know. We released the book version of season four recently as kind of a tester to see, you know, how we're going to do once we start doing me being a professional author things. I don't even know what how to deal with that mentally. Like, I need to be doing advertising and stuff. I already need to be doing it for the podcast. But the podcast is so much so much more difficult to advertise for because I don't know what the fuck anybody goes to see it, you know? Like, getting the word out about your podcast is functionally fucking impossible, especially after 2020 when everybody basically got sick of podcasts because everybody else started making them, you know? And now that you've seen behind the curtain, nobody cares about it. I've also been doing TikToks and stuff. It's fun. It's really relaxing. I, I think my approach to social media from now on needs to just be, I don't give a fuck about it because otherwise I just get worried. Like there was this mentality I had when I started out that I needed to be like this professional, whatever. And you need to be putting on a good show. And like, if somebody wants horror content, they should come to my little slice of the woods, but nobody fucking does that. You know what I mean? Like maybe there's people that can capably, have a professional Twitter account, but it's, I'm not the fucking one. I can't do it. Same with Instagram. Like I, I don't get interested in horror stuff constantly and it's not like it's always happening, you know? And most of the accounts that I see that are just like, you know, good, I guess you would say horror accounts that are just horror focused, um, are all like novelty shops, you know, like fucking places that sell costumes or places that are just, like, a news feed for, like, Fangoria press releases and, like, kind of just share a little bit of of, of news and stuff. And that just feels very non y It feels really corporate, too. Um, and I just can't do it. Like, I can't. I, if I have a thought, I want to say it. And that's, like, the entire breakdown of my existence. Like, it's the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Like, what... Like all of the shit that I've gone through, and I'm just gonna like, not post dumb fuck TikToks on my Instagram because the forty fucking people that would have liked something before on my basically dead account would be like, "Well, I, that that's not what I was here for. This thing that's not making you any money, fuck it." Then you know what I'm saying? Just like I need to get my name out there, and I can't I can't be fucking around with these sort of half-assed attempts at professionalism, because it's not me. And every time I do anything like that and it does start to feel half-assed, I just find a way to stop doing it because I don't want to. I love playing guitar. I do it all the time. I usually play guitar for like two, three hours a fucking day. I can't stop because it's fun. It's good. The way that I go about it, it's, in, it's very, very invigorating to me. I'm sure you guys out there have the same sort of things with yourselves. You just pick stuff up, you play, you have a good time. You, you, you do whatever it is that, that works for you. And then the things that don't, just like fucking, they're, they're, they're awful, you know? But when it's something like work, you know, like mopping a floor, like mopping a floor is something that you can get through. And you can also turn your brain off during it. You know what I'm saying? Even stuff that's like higher order shit, like fucking accounting and things like that, where you have to do a bunch of fucking numbers, you can still kind of just go with the flow Trying to like think up creative content that would be like advertiser friendly. I don't even know how to describe it. Just like good ad copy. Like, oh man, this is really going to reel the kids in. Like, it's just so fucking awful. And it sucks too, because I guess that's maybe how you really get ahead. You know, it's always like, this guy was an expert in marketing. And you always just see like, oh God, I, I stumbled into that Twitter recently where it's like, Yeah, this person's giving a masterclass in TikTok marketing. They're doing this, blah, 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 blah. And every time I see the person, I was like, I would fucking blow my brains out before I got successful doing that. Like, unironically, I would fucking jump off a bridge before I turned that into my everyday. Like, it's not worth it. It fucking isn't. So I guess I'm just going to be a fucking peasant for the rest of my life. But I am still trying to do some just basic stuff. Like, it's just the honest thing. Sending out letters, handing out copies of books, trying to do some fun shit that I actually want to do. On that note, we recently um, announced, although I think fucking Facebook is squashing it because Facebook squashes fucking everything, um, a Halloween decoration contest for the neighborhood that I live in. So don't get excited. It's not for you guys. I'm sorry. Um, Because there would be no way for me to check that it's like your house kind of thing, quote unquote. And before you offer me ways to do it, I'm just, I'm not, I wanted to be in my own locality because I'm trying to establish some stuff like within walking distance that I can kind of, you know, build up. I feel like, uh, that's a, that's something that's important that people don't do enough is kind of establish themselves locally. Obviously you can't do it with something like streaming and maybe even podcasting after a fashion, but you know, there's a million people like literally that live in Louisville and if I can just get a bunch of them to be kind of like mildly supportive of me just because I'm in Louisville then I don't know maybe I can maybe I can kind of build off of that you know and it would be nice to just meet some people around here and hang out with them that are like horror focused I know we have a few people that work at like foddens and stuff but um I'm just naming local places but uh yeah, like I, I just need like to build up a, a an actual kind of community because the the internet shit fucking sucks, man. Internet friends are like sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not. Like I, I just feel like, and you all probably out there have seen it. Like it, it, it's dangerous to try to make an internet friend because you never know what's gonna happen. You know, you never know if they're gonna fucking jack you out of some money or if like some random twitter drama is going to happen and they're going to be like look at this fucking joke this guy told me in 1993 <laughs> um and you know you, you never you can't you don't really talk to them face to face it's not to say that internet friends aren't fucking great like a friend is a friend if you find one it's just like the finding of internet friends Especially like, you know, and what I'm I'm speaking specifically to, uh, you know, peers in the world. Like I talk to Steve LaFond all the time from Whichever Path and he's cool as shit. Um, but, you know, some of the other people are just like, hey, what's up? I like your shit. And they're like, fucking back off. <laughs> or they just like immediately ghost you or whatever, which is fine. But like, man, it, it takes effort to try to fucking meet people you know, and and try to like network and all that shit. And I don't like the idea of networking because it does sound like fucking like some sort of corporate capitalist shit. But I do like community building. You know what I mean? For the ends of everybody, like I really want to spread out and help other people and serious people too. And I guess that's like the kind of the other side. Like I'm trying to find friends that can help me like build my own stuff and who I can work alongside but and but you also run into people who are just like i don't know how to say it you just like not committed you know like hey i just started a podcast 2 weeks ago and um i'm not quite done with my first episode do you think you can give me a shout out and you're like well i mean dude i don't want to send people to a fucking program that doesn't exist yet you know what i'm saying but and then i end up feeling bad because i'm also the guy that's like well you know fucking i wish like Dude, I would be fucking huge. I would be fucking huge if I could just get somebody from, like, one of these goddamn New York, L.A. fucking ad agencies or whatever the fuck to, like, you know, give me just a little bit of spotlight, just a little bit of spotlight, and I can fucking grow off that. And, I mean, that's really what it is. Like, out there, it's fucking. there's nothing. It's just luck. It's really just luck. Accidentally meeting the right people, taking advantage of the opportunities that you get and
3: i think it's the people that spend less time making stuff and more time making a platform to sell themselves i guess you would say that end up getting ahead you know
2: and then then the few people that get to be like i don't know talented and famous <laughs> usually come from like wealthier families and shit because they just get to start out rich and you know, it sucks. Am I bitter about it? Fuck. Yeah. Fuck those people, but it is what it is. All that aside, I did release a book and you can buy it. <laughs> if you if you've been with the West side fairy tales for a long time, it's stories you've already heard, but it is practice for me to start kind of navigating the space because I don't want to waste a good new book on a, uh, on something that might like super fail, because I know that people like this these stories, and um, I, I feel less emotionally invested in the failure of this project. And it's so far, it's not. I'm not doing bad. I'm not checking ratings. I made a promise with myself. I don't look at numbers anymore unless I absolutely have to. I think that's why I'm sounding a little bit upset right now. I would, I applied to join the Horror Writers of America yesterday, and it is a archaic organization, but they do have networking opportunities. You know what I mean? Maybe I could go here or there, and, you know, every once in a while you see, like, hey, this is this author from whatever the fuck talking about some bullshit that they did. And, you know, every one of those little opportunities that you can get that's like that is very, very valuable. You know, just to get yourself out in front of some fresh eyes. And, honestly, I I like that shit. Like, I love public speaking. I like doing stuff like this. Man, when I used to do stand-up comedy which was forever ago, like those used to be the best days of the week for me because I would just get out there and I'd fucking, I would riff other people are like, man, you got to fucking get your, your, your tight five together and tell the same jokes. I'm like, nah, I don't fucking do that. Every time I go up to this microphone, I'm just going to say different shit. So, you know, whatever. I didn't make it, but I always got laughs and the crowd always fucking liked me because I would just chat them up and stuff. And so, it's just a different discipline. You know, I was probably not meant to be, like, a stand-up comic. I don't I don't think I could do that. Like, I'm a one-time writer, and then I'll edit some stuff. But, like, and I guess maybe if I did, like, if I went on, like, a tour or something and I read from my book, that would be fine. But I don't think I could tell the same joke over and over and over and over and over and over again for, like, a year. And it's not a knock. I mean, I've seen the... The way that that ends, you know, like I've been to like seen, I've seen Bill Burr live and I've seen a million like other major comics live. And it's fucking awesome to see them like going through it, but also like <laughs> watching them go through while they're working material up is fucking rough. And it's just not, it's not what I'm into, but man, I do miss it. And I want to get out there and talk to people more. I think fucking COVID has fucked me up. COVID and working from home for the last several years has put me in a strange position because I actually am like an introvert but I do need to go out and talk to people constantly because it gives me some sort of like not self-worth but it allows me to find like a gradation curve and like a solid point to just make sure that I'm still alive and that I'm human because without them the only thing I have is the fucking internet which is a cesspool and uh, my own thoughts, which are actually worse than the internet. I'm meaner to myself than anybody will literally ever be able to be to me. Hands down. And like, I've had some serious contenders. <laughs> I was in the fucking Marine Corps.
3: Um,
2: yeah, I don't know where to further go with that. But it's just stuff I've been thinking about, you know. And honestly, like these movies that I'm about to talk about, we're talking about malignant today. And, uh, and the new Candyman have also kind of put me in an interesting kind of mindset. Um, and let's just kind of, let's just hop into there and then, and then see see where we go as we get into, um, into discussing these things. So I, I really just want to start off talking about Malignant, which is a 2021 American horror film directed by James Wan. Uh, James Wan is the co-creator of Saw and Insidious and The Conjuring Universe. He is on, uh, he's fallen off lately. I feel like James Wan, like he's like, I almost want to talk about him for a while. Cause as you guys know, we have, we've been doing The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Um, I, I got to get back and actually do the the next two of The Devil Made Me Do It cinematic universe <laughs> films. But He stopped working on those, I guess, or I don't know if they were pushed off on somebody to work on Malignant, which is possibly one of the most unironically bad movies I've seen in a while that was not so good it was bad. I I know people are going to be disagreeing with me out there. I just have to... I, I just have to... Let me let me just start talking about the plot. I'm just going to go right off of fucking Wikipedia here because I literally could not tell you. You know what? Fuck it. I can't remember anybody's names in this movie. Uh, it's one of the things I say it every time. If you don't have somebody saying somebody's name a bunch in a movie, I'll never fucking remember it. Maybe people said each other's names a bunch in this. I do... I do not know. Um... So, yeah, it, let's just, let's actually try to go from fucking memory. It starts off in like, it starts off in a scene that I can only describe as the intro movie to a bad roller coaster experience that never actually existed. It is shot, lit, scripted. The scene, everything about it reminds me of these movies that they would play before you got on roller coasters or different rides like back in the 90s when that was still like when, when amusement park, uh, the amusement park boom was going on and amusement parks were like this huge deal. I grew up next to, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I grew up next to uh, Kings Island, not next to it, next to it, but it's in Cincinnati and I'm from Cincinnati. It was like whatever, 40-minute drive from where I lived. And so we would go there all the time. And at the time it was called Paramount, Paramount, King, Paramount Kings Island, yeah. And so all the rides were Paramount themed. So we had like literally like one of the roller coasters was Face Off. We had The Congo. Congo was the uh the water slide that was right next to it. Top Gun was in the back. Um and then you had the original ones from before it was Paramount, see, so you know, like The Beast and um the uh what's that fucking thing called, the Vector? I can't remember. It's the it was the big steel roller coaster before they built bigger ones. Um, and now it's not that anymore, but for a short while in time, it was Paramount's Kings Island. And so everything would have like these fucking themes actually for a short time. I think it was like 20 years, but, um, and I remember my dad always tell me, if you go to Top Gun, which is in the very corner of the park, the very, very corner. And I don't know if all the shit is still there, but when you used to go there, the, the ride would go up through and then around this gigantic steel tower that was filled up on the inside like an aircraft carrier. And then the top of it was like an aircraft carrier flight deck that would, and this was a hanging roller coaster. So you would hang underneath the track and you would floop, floop, floop around. It was actually a lot of people's favorite roller coasters back in the day, especially older people. Like kids didn't care for it as much, but it was like the smoothest roller coaster in the park for years and that some people that have written it will tell you it was the absolute not smoothest I don't know the way that people react to roller coasters makes no fucking sense to me because it's like there's always like an 80% of people believe it is this thing and that's the general consensus and then 10% will say it's the worst thing ever and it's jarring and nightmarish and then the other people say no it's actually extremely smooth and it does not matter what fucking roller coaster you're talking about it's always 10-80-10 but uh, when it first opened, uh, they had actors and shit inside of it, like like local actors dressed up like in Air Force flight suits and shit, touching all these buttons and dials and being like, "All right, prepare for takeoff." Roger, prepare for takeoff, and it flaps, flaps up, flaps up, flaps up. Roger, ready, ready for slingshot in three, slingshot in two, one. And like the whole time you're going up, they'd have these little movies going and shit. The most notable one, and the one that's really making me think of Malignant's intro, is the one for uh, fucking, what the hell was it called? Outer Limits. It was an all indoor roller coaster that opened when I was like 10. And it was the most nightmarish, jarring fucking thing in the world. And actually, when they started it up, when they started it up, it passed all of its like whatever G force tests. But People are fucking stupid. And these are Cincinnati people, which might be some of the dumbest human beings on earth. No offense to literally everybody I knew growing up, but you're all dumb as fuck. They would get on this fucking roller coaster and it tells you to put your head back against the seat rest behind you, which I always did. Like you would lay back and then you would get clipped in, right? This thing was fired into itself off of an accelerometer. So, like, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, It was actually, it actually launches you the way that fucking aircraft are launched off of a magnetic, electromagnetic accelerator built into the ground. So there is no um, initial climbing hill. You're just there, and then it goes... And fucking, like, shoots you, and you just fly, dude. And then you... And when they built it, um, and this all goes into the story, but uh, they didn't have pads on the side because people would put their fucking heads forward for reasons. I still don't understand why. And because of the way that the roller coaster was built, it would go, it's all inside one building. So it looks, it's in the dark, you know, or was it Outer Limits? Something Flight of Fear. It might've been X-Files. I can't fucking remember. But... It shot up and then it went up and turned, right? So all the people with their heads forward instead of back would start having their heads fucking the whole ride. And for some reason, just the way that physics works, it would hold your head up there and bounce your fucking head back and forth. And then you would get done. And like some people would be like, wow, that was amazing. And other people were like literally ami- <laughs> getting off the ride and puking like, It's on. you have to get off onto a platform that's above you. So you actually step up out of it. And I remember seeing somebody like crawling out and just laying down and holding their head because they got the ever-living shit beat the fuck out of them. It was amazing. But the whole thing was in the dark, right? Because it's really just a big ball, like a big ball of fucking um, track, you know? Like if you think about it, most of the roller coasters you've ever been on could probably be built within like, a hundred square meters, you know? If you just put a few extra turns in it, it turns in, it would be like that. But it would look really fucking stupid. So if you put a box around it and flashing lights and stuff and only sort of let people see different parts of the track, and, like, I think they would have two cars going, and one would be, like, near the end, so you would go in, and then you would look up, and you see this other one flying over the top. you It was all supposed to be space station-themed. And to sell that, they would walk you through this goofy fucking intro. There might be people out there that have never been on a roller coaster before or to an amusement park. So, and I don't know how these exist outside of America. I know they do, but Americans are always doing shit the dumbest fucking way. So in America, a roller coaster is like literally a fucking super dangerous subway train that's above ground and flies around. So it's like a train, whatever. But they're on tracks and they are propelled in ways that are very similar to a subway. Um <laughs> to get onto them, you have to get in lines. Cues. Cues, as you, as as you few English uh UK people would say. Get in the queue And these things during peak hours can be three to four hours, hours long. People the 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 closest parts of them, right, are actually ride themed. So, like, if you go to, for instance, the Beast roller coaster, which is the oldest running wooden roller coaster on Earth, I don't know, whatever the fuck. It's the main draw of King's Island. But it's like this scary woods shack is how it's supposed to be. So it's real thematic and stuff, and there's TVs. Welcome to the Beast. Boom, 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 boom. The oldest roller coaster in America. Boom, 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 boom. Will you survive two and a half miles of wooden track through the untamed wilderness of Kings Mills, Ohio? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And so that's what that that that's what you kind of do up there. And it's in this big shack. Behind the shack is the like less cool, you can see the shack, and you're like, all right, whatever the fuck. And it's just rows upon rows, upon rows upon rows of like steel bars that, that separate these things. And they they can all be kind of like reconfigured and like little gates can get moved and relocked so that you can kind of like shorten or lengthen the line. And then after that, these are always undercover. So like you're out of the sun. Sometimes there's misters. Wonderful. Uh, Most people go to the fucking, the, the park in the summer And uh, not all of them have those covers. And that cover is literally only the last hour of the line wait if it's maxed out. So, like, if that is, like, literally nobody else can get underneath that thing, that is an hour from the second you get into it. And as you will recall, I said two to four-hour waits (laughs) – dude people would be and it's like after you get out of that nothing there's no fucking the line turns into either they'll have ropes just on fucking blacktop, just blacktop and ropes dead ass middle of the sun standing there like a fucking jackass watching all the rest of the rides go up and down and then after that it's just stretching out into the park so every once in a while especially like this is our thing when I was a kid like when we, I was a kid We wouldn't give up. I would never try to ride a new roller coaster like the day it came out because, first off, they'd be fucking broken. And I know I'm going off on a fucking tangent here, but first off, they would be like broken 80% of the time, like literally 80%. I remember they had the Son of Beast roller coaster that I, I got to go on it. And apparently, I'm like one of 200 fucking people, one like the one in 200 that have been to the park since that ride opened and was actually able to ride it and i went on and out as a lark <laughs> like, let's stand in line for three hours and go on this stupid thing none of the regulars will ever do that none of the kids that are from cincinnati but the out-of-towners will do it for sure and they pass out in those lines and stuff but man when you finally got into uh, outer limits you would walk in and they would have this dumb fucking story going on dumb fucking story uh, about like watch out ladies and gentlemen and it was i think it was purposely stupid but i remember when i was a kid like i couldn't like i couldn't understand like corniness as being cool so when i was a kid i was just like this is just bad this is stupid and i hate it And it's making me nervous cuz i'm kind of scared of the dark still <laughs> so you walk in and then like the entrance to the ride when you get into the internal part is a fucking ufo and like everything around it are all these like racks of of old school 1980s you know, fucking magnetic tape punk real machines and clicky light button machines. And it used to be, when it started, a bunch of fucking dickheads in lab coats running around. They come up to the people. You! Have you seen anything? There's something loose! Ah." And they keep this shit up for the whole fucking time. They go in like little, little things. And they, they used to go... In time with the shit that was on the screen, which was like some fucking alien breaking out of a tube that was inside. You would actually go inside the the UFO thing and you would walk past the tube and shit and they'd be like, oh no, it's out, it's loose, it's loose. And it has a plot and it would go through the plot, which is probably great, but the plot's like fucking 25 minutes long, right? And you're in there for fucking hours. So you see it twice, maybe three times if something happens on the ride. And these dudes are just doing it over and over and over again. And you can see them because they're just exhausted like theater kids. Like, this is my first acting gig. I'm going to save up money here. And then I'm going to go to Hollywood. Fucking all about it. They're absolutely fucking about it. (laughs) These guys, man. They they remind me of the intro to Malignant. Malignant is so fucking dumb. All of that shit that I said. I just had to say it because the intro to Malignant was so bad that we were we almost considered turning it off. <laughs> me and my wife were like, the whole movie's not going to be like this, right? It was the same shit. It felt the same. Dickheads in lab coats running around. The movie starts with uh whoever the fuck this doctor lady is like Doing a, you know, Doom monologue to the fucking TV. You can tell it's the 1980s because they put in a, a fucking tooth. One of those, you know, effects, right? Like a fucking TikTok effect to make it look like an old video. And it's like, I don't even think it's shot in 3-4 ratio, which all videotape is. So first off, fuck you. And, and second, like, does nobody remember what the fuck VHS looks like? because it does not look like 4K red tv monitor or red tv fucking cameras running at fucking 60 fps with a fucking filter over it just FYI to all future filmmakers that's not what that like that, that looks like <laughs> jesus christ you can achieve the look literally and I don't, I don't know if people. I actually, I do know. I, I just guarantee you, people in fucking Hollywood don't know how their cameras work. Turn your ISO up insanely fucking high, as high as it'll go, and then turn the fucking shutter down on the on on, on your fucking lens. Right, put your shutter out to fucking twenty two. Put your ISO up to something absurd, like thirty eight thousand, whatever it'll go up to. Send it up to fucking one hundred and sixty something. And just make it the most nightmarish Grainy bullshit Because that's what VHS cameras were They were meant to be operated by fucking idiots Like the ones that went to fucking <laughs> The ones that went to fucking um, Help me out here Kings Island when I was a kid Just anybody can pick them up So they don't have a lot of Or almost any fucking features So they're meant to be shot everywhere They're fucking garbage The tape is trash but it looks cool because of just the way that the fucking the bad lenses and stuff work. It just looks gritty and shitty and like almost porny. And then if you want to make it look like eight millimeter, first off, it has to be basically a fucking square, right? Like sometimes they don't even get the fucking ratios right for the old film. And it's insane because it's like, I don't know. To me, that's what make old, makes old film look fucking cool is that it's like
3: shot weird as fuck like i don't know i think um i think tape is shot like super high actually i, th- I don't
2: quote me on this but i think the fucking frame rate of videotape is actually high because it's not a picture it's it's like
3: i don't know how to describe it it's it's memory encoded on um it's memory encoded on tape. I
2: don't know how to describe this better, but it's not a picture picture, you know, where it's, it's individual photos being taken like by like an eight millimeter film. And that's, what's cool about eight mil film is it is like very individual, sometimes blurry pictures being taken on an extremely small strip of film over and over. It's basically like, you're not even doing it right. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're purposefully misusing film from one camera and kind of jamming it into another. And it's dope. It's like really cool. And that's why you get things where it's timing is off. And so like, if you didn't know that, that's why sometimes the uh, picture will go and it'll be halfway up and halfway down and back down. That's a mechanical failure in the camera, either in the front or back reel, depending on playback or, or recording. That's actually Making it so that the little clicker, tut, 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 when you hear those old school cameras, that, tut, 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 that's actually a shutter going, you know, and actually, burr, burr, and and shuttering the photo. So if you see it, and actually, if you see it and the fucking film square changes size, that's playback. And if you see the exposure dip down and up and there's that big grainy bar between it, that means that the uh, the timing was off on the film. And so like basically you have one, the half top half of one photograph or negative and the bottom half of the other being exposed instead of whatever, which makes a fucking super cool effect. It still works. It's just printed in a way that's like, you know, completely busted. I digress. She's doing doom, doom monologue. Everybody likes the doom monologue. I love anything that starts with the doom monologue. And she gets up and like this next, the entire next scene. And this is a, issue throughout the entire movie it seems like it's shot by like the high school film crew of like I don't know Orange County High School like a bunch of kids who's like got they've got like parents in the fucking industry or something and they're like yeah we want this to be a really exciting thing and like James Wan just left it to them because he owed somebody a favor and that guy's kid wanted to get film credits I am just going to for the rest of my life attribute everything in Hollywood that's a mistake to nepotism and greed and stupidity because I feel like it's actually much more effective than just assuming that somebody made a mistake. <laughs> I feel like it's probably right. More often true. Cause I can't imagine like if you're, if people are getting, you know, acting roles because of nepotism, I don't see why people aren't getting fucking tech roles lower on the scale. Like one like bad operating procedure is a top down thing, but yeah, this scene. So this scene's like kind of go and you're just chasing this woman And these people like through this scene, there's interspersed shots of the monster that we will see later on. And then something happens, and I swear to God, if this is not, if anybody on Earth says this is not directly an either homage to or stolen from Jurassic Park, fuck you because you're wrong. They do the whole Jurassic Park scene from the intro of Jurassic Park. The guy's got his little thing. He's getting jerked in and out of the room. It's the intro to Jurassic Park, the original one. Shoot her! Shoot her! That's what it is, but less, less good. Because it's not Steven Spielberg. It's some guy that knows Steven Spielberg's grandkid, right? And so like, he gets to make fucking decisions on a major motion picture. And this dude gets dragged in. His arm gets broken for people's arms suffer compound fractures at an alarming rate in this film. And they're pretty good compound fractures, but you can kind of tell, I think they had one special effects artist that was on there and he, they were like, Hey man, what can you do? What's your daily rate? Like, what do you, what, what would you do? He's like, well, do I do a really good compound fracture? Like, can you do anything else? He's like, well, I can do a really good compound fracture. <laughs> and so, that dude gets it. Like five other people get compound fractures through it, and then like people get their skulls caved in. But that happens. That happens off scene, or that happens digitally. <laughs> and like then we start, and you see like uh like a fucking silhouette, as I recall, um of the the monster. But you also see like little pink socks that might be on like a little girl, and I think she's referring to this thing by male pronouns, and it's a whole big clusterfuck. And then it's like the malignant intro, right? They do a full theme song. Like if I could, it would have been even better. because I. And this also feels stolen from me in a weird way. And I don't know if it's intentional or if people are wearing their influences on their sleeve. Or if they're just making really obvious decisions that like are so uninspired that it makes me think that they cribbed them. Because the intro is like a really, really bad version of the amazing intro from uh, House on Haunted Hill back in the day. You know, the fucking where it's, I think, I think it's Sweet Dreams. And it's like this wonderful claymation uh, stop motion fucking intro and shit. And it's got all these medical slides and stuff. And they do something like that with Malignant, but it's bad. It's just fucking really boring. If they would have done it instead, they would have gone full James Bond and just been like, He's so malignant. He's inside of you. That would have been so much better. It it would have been thematically on point too because this movie is so fucking schizophrenic, it's insane. And not in a good way. Not in a like I'm actually feel like I might be mentally ill, like fucking Jacob's ladder is just like. Am I seeing that? Is that in the movie? Is that a mistake? I don't feel good. I want to stop watching this. This movie's amazing. I think malignant tries to do that. It tries to do a bunch of different shit. Like I feel like they were like, hey, James, we've got 20 grand or 20 mil sitting around. Oh, no, actually, the budget for this film is $40 million. We've got $40 million just sitting around. Do you want to just eat it and then shit? And then we will throw that shit into the face of the American public. And he was like, I'm literally not doing anything this Friday, so let's go for it. The main character is introduced shortly after and she's some chick. I think her name's fucking Meredith. I don't know. This woman, and fucking correct me if I'm wrong, looks, I, she is, it's like, this is how the call went. All right. This is how the call went down. First, they said, hey, is Scarlett Johansson, or not Scarlett Johansson, uh, what's that other chick's name? From fucking uh, Hunger Games. <laughs> is uh oh, what, dude, what's her name? It's, it's at the top of my head. Hunger Games, come on. These people are screaming at me right now starring <laughs> you can't even find the starring anymore what in the absolute fuck is this bullshit
0: one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes
2: nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt
0: until you tried it on same goes for your health care
3: Help me. She, I know she's supposed to be famous, but I can't remember this woman's name. This is, this is how badly my, ba- my brain
2: is fucking damaged. I feel like my, my, my wife is going to find out about this and be upset with me. Film adaptation. Jesus Christ. Jennifer Lawrence. Thank you, Jennifer Lawrence. So they were like, please, can we get Jennifer Lawrence for this? Like, can, can, can we, is she doing anything? And she's not. But when they called her, she was like, no. And then they were like, okay, how about instead we get Dakota Johnson, who is the the chick from fucking Fifty Shades of Grey. All three of these women have the exact same white lady features and haircut. If you put them in one of those things where it spins the faces real fast, they won't look different at all. They will look like the same person. And then they said, no, she's busy too. Um, She's actually way too cool to hang out with us. We thought she wasn't because she was in Fifty Shades of Grey, but then she was in that remake of fucking Suspiria. And we decided that she's too fucking cool. She decided she's too cool for us. So instead they got whoever the fuck. Maddie, Maddie Hansen, I guess.
3: I can't, I can't remember who these fucking people are Yeah, Annabelle Wallace. A fucking... I don't know. I don't know who she is. I guess
2: she's in Peaky Blinders. Uh, all of these. I'm actually looking at the plot list right now. And all of these people have full names, which is wild. Like almost all of them do. Emily May Madison, Maddie Lake Mitchell, young Emily Mays, McKenna Grace. Maddie, ha- Maddie Hassan, 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 Maddie Hassan is Sydney Lake. Kakoa Shaw, Regina Moss, Gabriel, Voice of Gabriel. He's the bad guy. Serena May, Gene Lake, Derek Mitchell, Victor Fields, Florence Weaver, John Gregory, Officer Lee, womp womp, (laughs) Frank Lake, Beverly Velasquez. If you ever see a Velasquez in a movie... Any movie that's not produced by somebody with the Spanish, like who is actually like Mexican or, or Spanish, Velazquez will always be somebody in the military or the police. I, I'm not even looking at this right now, but anybody that gets called like Vasquez or Velazquez is always a military or police person. I don't know why, but it's that the and then the ending in Squez that is just like any white person is just like, I need a fucking Latino. I need a fucking Latino for this cop job. What should we do? Dude, it's a Vasquez. How about a Velasquez? How about a Verquez? <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. Let's see, am I right? Her real name is just Velasquez. <laughs> Velasquez. Uh, she's got the accent there on that that A. But, man, yeah. So, they, 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 they fucking eventually settle on this chick. And she is the most... I, you know, I don't know if she's a bad actress. Because... This script and the direction fucking blow chunks. Like, they are actively bad. If you like this film, that's fine. But if you say that you like it because of the writing, we have to have a talk after school. Literally see me after class. It's written right there at the bottom of your assignment underneath the gigantic F. What in the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) From here, I can barely remember what happens. She gets beat up by her husband. First off, she comes home. To a house that is like a fucking three story Victorian mansion, like semi mansion, whatever the hell you would call those things, really, really big fucking house. Um, in they are in Seattle. They're, this is so this is suburban Seattle. This house has to be probably in the ballpark of five hundred to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. She is a nurse, which and you know nurses are well compensated. This is a five to $750,000 a year house minimum plus expenses. She gets home, and her husband is a loser douchebag. He is watching. I, yeah, I think he's on the bed in their bedroom, and he's for some reason watching UFC on the bed in their bedroom, even though they have a, a massive home. I think it's because the actual house— um is like a set house, right? That's supposed to be like period accurate to some degree for some reason and you can't put electronics downstairs. I'm I actively believe that this is the case. I think they had one room that they could fuck up and all the other rooms they couldn't really be doing shit in. <laughs> and so so they kept them in there. So she goes home, she walks up to the second story of this massive home and he's just like She's like, hey, what's up? How you doing? And they have the worst dialogue ever. And it sucks too because like there's so many good opportunities for people to like explain the the actual in and outs of a domestic violence relationship. You know, like when people are undergoing domestic violence because it's not well understood. And things like movies are the best way to get – especially women, to understand that they're in a dangerous situation or they're in a bad situation because it might be their first exposure to it. A lot of people who are victimized as children get victimized as adults by the same sort of people because that's what they're used to affectionately. It's a gigantic psychological problem throughout the United States. So when I see stuff like this, it sucks because it's really bad. She goes in. She's like, hey, uh, do you spend time with me, love me, uh, She says something attention-seeking or affection-seeking. He denies her affection. And she's like, well, you're a butt. And I worked real hard as a nurse all day to afford this gigantic house that we haven't really... That's really unlived in and has almost no pictures of us and does not reflect the style of either me or you and is kind of just set dressing. And also, like, why in the fuck are we in this house? They never explain that. And I don't think he has a job. He's basically kind of coded as being a stay-at-home wife beater. I don't get it. I don't get it. If this would have taken place in a fucking trailer park, it would have been unironically a better movie. Unironically a 10 if it had been in a trailer park. And instead of the attic, as we find out later, the, the lair had been in the fucking basement or in a crawl space or something like that underneath the trailer that would have been fucking awesome. I digress. He... Pushes her head into a wall. Some domestic violence happens. He goes, well, just respect me. I'm a big boy. And he smashes her head into a wall so bad. She fucking splits the back of her fucking head open and leaves like a palm sized blood streak all the way down the fucking wall. And she is just constantly bleeding from the back of her head and never gets any sort of medical attention for
3: it. I repeat, she's a fucking nurse. At some point, people start dying during this,
2: and it's very clearly all of the people that used to work at the hospital. The reason this is really fucking stupid is because this is a thing that's been done a million times before. All right. People start dying, they seem completely unrelated, right? Oh, this guy's just some fat schlub bodyguard or security guard who works like a night shift till 5 a.m. What does he have to do with this very, very proper doctor lady who attends fancy soirees on the outside of town? How are these connected? You know what I'm saying? Like that that's always fun. That's like the basic of a fun basic like setup of any just, it's so good. It, that's a great setup. I love it. I love it because it's fun to figure out what they're all connected to, or if you do know how they're connected, to kind of, like, dig into that. The thing is, is they ruined that in the first five minutes of the fucking show. I know why these people are being killed, but none of the people on, 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 on the fucking screen do. Like, oh, my God, it actually is the plot of House on Haunted Hill. Oh, my God, it actually is. All of the people that were involved in the original House on Haunted Hill fire. The doctor, the nurse, these are, all of them get killed. It's the same. Oh, God. And there's a... Oh, God damn it. Did he fucking rip off House on Haunted Hill? <laughs> so ineptly, only a dumbass like me can tell. Um, this, the, this fucking murderer starts killing people. And the murderer is clearly a backwards person. They're stabbing things backwards. Their knees go in the wrong direction, even though they run sort of forward, and uh, it's very, it's very, it's very interesting, to say the least. Also, during this time, our main character, Lady, starts having headaches, and, um, oh yeah, a major plot point is that she's had, like, fucking 20 miscarriages or some shit. (sighs) I don't give a fuck. The the, the 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 plot continues just in a general sense like as as a river of sludge must always try to find the ocean and we find out that um she is connected to all of them obviously there are all the people from the hospital at the beginning although none of the people from the hospital are talking to each other there should have been something like that there was no cover up there were like that i can tell like, it, if it would have been some sort of like, hey, there was a big cover up and shit, and like somebody was starting to get close, there's just so many better ways to do that sort of thing. But this, the way that this movie is structured, the basic plot line of it is so bad and disjointed and so solid in other places. And I don't mean solid, isn't like a good solid, just like, it is the core component of the story that there is no way to fix it. Like when I did my thing with the conjuring, you know, and I had fun and I tried to reimagine certain scenes, I can do that because the conjuring still had a very functional bone structure. You know what I mean? It's just like a lot of the outside of the essential parts in the center, everything was fucked up. This literally is like cancer. Maybe it's a meta narrative that the, um, thing itself is literally riddled with cancer the entire plot all of the sets the scenes everything it, it's like a gumbo made out of fucking old socks like and some you know what it is it's stone soup you know stone soup back when you were a kid if anybody ever heard that it's like a stranger shows up in town he's like well what i'll throw in this is a, a fucking single stone into this boiling pot of water and then everybody else, if you throw in just one thing, well, I have soup. And I mean, like, literally. Yeah, obviously, that's how you make soup. You just put everything in. But instead, it was just all stones. It was just stones. Everyone's just like, well, I have a stone. I do not have carrots or an onion. I will put in a stone. And then you just have boiling water with 15 rocks. Like, that is this movie. <laughs> it's fucking so stupid. Um. I'll just get to the end. They find out that she actually has her own twin brother living in the back of her head. She keeps having these like out of body experiences where she sees the people get killed, but they
3: don't make sense at all at all. No, they don't make any fucking sense because the perspective
2: is this like independent perspective. So her brother's in the back of her head. So that's what she's backwards. And that's how she kills people. Yeah, I know. It hurt me, too. It hurt me, too. It was so stupid. I couldn't figure it out. I was just like, what in the fuck is this backwards bitch doing? And Sam's like, it was the brother in the back of her head the whole time. Like, I knew. I was like, how did you, how did you know that? It's so stupid. But it was fucking, she was on it, dude. She's like, like, normally you get these. I was like, I was just trying too hard.
3: It's like one of those really simple puzzles. Oh, my God. Uh, so,
2: anyway, the, like, when she's phasing out is the coolest looking thing in the entire movie. Like, all the walls go all fucking Silent Hill and, and flow away, and then she goes into a new place. The new places always have to have at least a few things. So, uh, fucking sink in the same place, because she's touching a sink and a fucking toilet in the same place, because there's a toilet right there, but the rug is gone. Blah. And then she's, like, kind of in these places, like, yelling at people from the side of them. But, like, if you think about it, she's backwards. So shouldn't she see, like, behind the guy or something? Like, wouldn't that, like, shouldn't there be something about, like, duality and, like, bisection and doubling and twinning and stuff like that? Like, is that not, in my in my mind, that's just how you should be trying to tell a story that is uh, literally about the duality of a soul inside of one person. Like, there's two minds in this person. One decides to do one thing. One decides to do the other. You can have, like, things where it's like they're pulling themselves apart. Maybe even have her have a fucking conversation with this dickhead before the absolute end of the movie. I mean... Literally the last five minutes of the movie, she finally fucking has a conversation with this guy. Um, Well, uh, there's a few spotted in before, but it's nothing good. It's nothing like we need to do this. This is this is his voice too. My name is Gabriel, and I can talk in your voice. I can talk in your head like this,
3: but I can also talk through radios for no reason.
2: (laughs) Oh, also, he has electromagnetic powers for no fucking reason no fucking reason super strength maybe okay why not you're a mutant that's fine you can just have super strength I, I i'll allow it i allow michael myers to have super strength and to go from being you know built like a fucking dickhead white boy serial killer to being built like literally kane Hodder. so like that's fine I'm, that's fine whatever but, like, why do you have electric powers? Why, why, why can you talk through the radio? How did you learn to do that in the first place? Like, how is any of this fucking happening? Why don't you do it more often? He, he has a fucking... So, also, at, in about the last half of this movie, it turns into a, uh, hey, we are going to... We're going to do an action movie now. We're going to do an action movie. I think every time I mention anything, I just, it gets brought back. I'm just, I was just talking about Michael Myers and they have a full police station massacre scene in this for no reason. It has one of the dumbest best scenes ever too. It's so fucking stupid. And I love it because it is actively the dumbest thing in the world. But it's the one thing where I'm like, yeah, cops would be doing that. So, um, like I said, it turns into a fucking action movie. The, uh, the malignant I don't know the, the fucking Gabriel there's never a fucking real name given to this person that is doing this shit as as far as I can remember. I'll talk about their kit later because that's so dumb. It turns into an action movie at some point um and this motherfucker lets loose. they're extremely strong, as I described earlier, multiple compound fractures they get put in the lockup with a bunch of like women criminals and one of them hits the lady in the head. And that's the trigger that lets fucking Gabriel out. And then all of a sudden turns around the head, the back of her head splits open and this dude comes out and it's like a free bleeding wound. So why doesn't she have like blood all over the back of her shirt in the morning? And like her hair would be full of it. Like, have you ever tried to get blood out of just even like short dude's hair? It's fucking hard. And she's got like literally Dakota Johnson from 50 shades of gray, full bangs and like hair that goes down to her mid back. Like it's ostensibly to be there to cover up the fucking horrific nightmare scar of her uh, undivided twin, whatever the fuck parasitic twin brother. But like, it would be full of gross. Like all kinds of gross comes out of like, she should be getting up every day and just like washing her head and just being like, there's fucking so much blood coming out of my head. Like, why don't you have that? That would be so much better as, like, just, like, a lead-in. Like, just take a fucking breath. Take a step back, James Wan, and just think, like, maybe not so much. This movie is also almost two hours long. I'm I'm not even shitting you. It is. It's pushing two hours. So they're like, he's like, this is my Suspiria. (laughs) That's why I needed a woman that looks almost exactly like Dakota Johnson. But, um... They go to this fucking police station, and 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 she she breaks out. She breaks out in the dumb way, where it's like, can we just stop having cops in movies approach fucking bars, like, and then getting their head banged against a bar? You would think that that would apply like the same logic where people in all new properties no longer say zombies. You know, because everybody knows about zombies, and no one should be surprised by a zombie. Because it's literally everywhere. Like Even the most basic bitch fucking cable TV Andy watches Walking Dead. You know what I mean? No one's going to see a fucking zombie in the street and be like, oh, it's not a zombie. So we call them walkers or whatever. But it's an established trope because we have fucking societal awareness now. Why are cops in movies still going like, hey, what's going on in there? This is like some sort of bloodbath. And then get in there, fucking someone grabs them by their fucking jacket bashes their head against the thing and if it's a bad horror movie or like a or a horror movie in general maybe like their eye gets gouged and then you see the blood falling on the ground and like his little legs will kick and then they'll drop him and then you'll see the hand go down pull up the bloody keys click click lock I'm out okay cool now blah 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 that's not even the thing that that I love in that scene I hate that. I hate that fucking... I hate that cliche. It drives me insane. No, I've worked in a fucking prison. And first off, prisons don't have bars like that in general anymore. I know this isn't like a main prison. It's like a holding sale jail. But like that problem of having bars and not like a solid fucking obstacle between you and the prisoners is something everybody knows is an issue. Like, aside from reaching through, banging your face on the fucking thing, and then stealing your keys, like, criminals are just gross and, like, really upset at the police most of the time. So they'll just, like, throw piss and shit on you because they're upset with you. Rightfully so half the time. But I digress. They have walls. They have walls and plastic doors, plexiglass. Like, <laughs> when- in the absolute fuck? Well, then how is she going to get out of the cell? She's got super strength. Make her go through the fucking thing. Crawl through the goddamn ceiling. Use your imagination. You live in a creative industry. Find a way for her to get out of that cell. That's not something that could have legitimately happened on the fucking Andy Griffith show. Hogan's Heroes probably was just like, this is that's too much. <laughs> Even Colonel Clink wouldn't fucking do that dumb shit. Oh my God! So a fucking firefight erupts right now. The I I know I know in my heart in my mind that this is uh, bad editing and that they made a mistake in editing and they 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 went out of sequence in their timeline for the sake of coolness. When Gabriel breaks out of the prison the first time or out of the jail cell, he steals the guard's gun and shoots some other guards. Fair. Okay. Now, he eventually runs out of ammunition and stops shooting people because they wanted to do Ung Bak, Thai warrior, and have everybody get their fucking limbs disjointed by this guy. So all these cops are like shooting at him and like swinging sticks and and, and he's fucking creepy crawling around. (laughs) And, And I don't know if it's the actress just doing this with a stupid expression on her face like she's like unconscious because when they crawl around you see her normal face
3: <laughs>
2: looking at me, looking around because at this point this dude's not uh wearing his fucking his little kit and then uh and and and, and or or if it's a um, just like a fucking stunt person who's just doing like a really fast alligator crawl like what are we going to do like don't worry we're going to shoot this really slow and then speed it up and you're going to do an alligator crawl (laughs) just backpedal on your hands and legs and when it's in the shadows earlier in this in the show like seeing somebody stand up and then their limbs bend the wrong way is very unsettling and i'll give them that but the police station is like basically daylight bright and it looks so fucking stupid it is like i was just like what in the fuck like laughing i don't want you to think this is so bad it's good maybe it is and i was just like completely led astray i wasn't pissed at it it just doesn't deserve any fucking recognition because it's it upset me so many times but during this this motherfucker is crawling around on the ground no gun the gun is gone our main character detective our, our our one of our deuteragonists um who is who is uh handsome like i think he's like korean detective he's got an interesting name he corrects somebody on how to say it and i can't i can't remember it because it was it was his whole name actually let's and it it sounds they they introduce him like it's his last name like you in real life you don't often have somebody introduce to you as like Detective Dave Smith Yeah, so his name is Kokoa Shaw um, And and they're like, this is Detective Kokoa Shaw And he's like, Kakoa Shaw And I was like, okay, so that's this guy's last name It's Kakoa Shaw That's cool, dope I, I don't, like, fucking Names that I've never heard before mean nothing to me Kokoa Shaw sounds like a fucking high school in Massachusetts Like, that's the world that you live in, I'm sorry and uh, but he's he's handsome. He's extremely slender, um, and well built. He's got like, um, he's got that uh, kind of. It's like a Thai action hero build to him. Clean cut run around, like, he could do the... um What's that SWAT movie where they run up and down... Is it called SWAT? Where they go up and down the tower and they just beat the shit out of everybody. He's got that build where he looks really, like... His his fighting style is going to be based on, like, being alive and maybe thinking his way through stuff. And, um like, he holds himself like that. Like, they literally hired an action character to be in this. And it kind of shows because he's not very good like convincing really in the like detective aspect of his job. He really does seem like the guy that's just supposed to be like getting closer and closer. And then you find out they're like, why is this normal police detective beating the shit out of us? And they're like, oh, that's fucking Kakoa Shaw. He was the the whatever the fuck. He trained the SWAT team in New York City and did all this cool stuff. He's a former Navy SEAL and they're like, get it. Like he's that guy. He's got that build. He's got that that haircut, that whole look. He's gonna whip somebody's ass. And honestly, like we've kind of needed that, that action hero for a while because it feels like they they just fell off and I miss them. Like I'm sick of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is no good. He's in that sort of he's in that sort of category. Um I think the best one in that category for a long time was uh fuck, what's that bald fuck from the transporter? You know who I'm talking about. That guy. He talks a lot. He's in fucking everything. But that guy was the same sort of thing. You know what I mean? Not, not a lot of like uh, Arnold strength, beat him up type stuff. Kicking like six guys asses by like inverting their fucking elbows and and maybe like sliding around on stuff. And he does that shit. Like he fucking fights this thing, which is has a very sliding scale of power and stuff. Yet again, I digress. This fucking thing is in this place. He's been... This dude's been chasing it around, right? He's been shooting. It can kind of... It doesn't really dodge bullets, but it can kind of make itself really hard to hit by going, you know, doing little crooked backwards runny dances and shit. And... God damn it. It's just so many things that I want to talk about because they're so fucking dumb. But... Uh, Koshaw. Fucking goes in there with his partner who is her Regina Moss. I believe it is. Yeah. M- Nicole, Brianna white who is like, Hmm. I, I don't know how to say it, but I think like she looks and talks like a Rick and Morty sketch where they're like, Oh no, M- Morty. It's, it, 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 it's uh, uh, the sassy black detective lady. Oh, geez, Rick, I think that's a little culturally inappropriate. It's insensitive. No, no, it's fine. It's from the 90s. No, it's, it, it's really not. People don't like that anymore. But that's her. She's like, she comes so close to doing like a, oh, no, he didn't. Like, so fucking close so many times and doesn't, doesn't do anything where I think maybe even the actress was just like, look, I really appreciate this opportunity. I know I'm not a very uh, big actress but I would like to say that I don't think any woman on earth would say that in response to what's happening. <laughs> like, like, you just tell the director was like, can you say, oh, hell nah. And she's like, no, I cannot do that. <laughs> but she is, she's got the hair, the, even the the way she's dressed, I swear to God, she looks like a fucking Rick and Morty Character, like Dan Harmon, you can say what you want about him. He has the like the cliches down. And it is literally the cliche, like black lady cop almost almost perfectly. She gets nothing in the entire fucking movie. She's absolutely disrespected. She's Kokoa Shaw's partner. Every time action happens, she's either incapacitated or she's off screen. She doesn't get to have almost any good interactions with the main character. Aside from, like, you're lucky. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're lucky it's not worse. You're lucky you're doing this. Like, that sort of shit. Like, that's what she gets to do. She's. It's always that that line that you do where somebody kind of, like, nods their head and it's like, then they push you through a door. That's what her whole character is. And, like, explaining whatever the fuck uh, Shaw, Detective Kakoa Shaw's. Now it's, like, it's in my head. It's got a really good rhythm. Kakoa Shaw, Kakoa Shaw, Kakoa Shaw. Um. The, just explaining whatever the fuck he's been doing, or explaining like, and you know, not like directly, but you know, just giving him his his intros, like, "I right, late again, I see, burning the midnight oil, are you?" That that kind of bullshit. I, I I can't remember any good lines from her because she's just absolutely, absolutely misused. But she's really obvious in every scene she is because the actress actually has like a really good. She's got good on screen poise and she's got a good face so she can kind of like get in there which it c- kind of works against the film too because it just makes me want her to do anything because i mean it is literally like the the film is 90% like white ladies doing shit um <laughs> i don't know how to describe that any better um there are so many points I still haven't described what happens in the fucking police station. Let me stop. So in the police station, they are in a fight. This lady, actually, yeah, my our our, our assistant detective here gets cut in the leg, she falls down. The character doesn't have a gun anymore that's been fucking alligator calling, but there's still shooting happening and there's a lot of shooting happening. Multiple guns and the bullets are hitting like the desk that these guys are hiding behind. So I'm just thinking, yeah, that is real. These cops are in this place, freaked the fuck out, firing guns at each other. <laughs> because he does the, he does the 1990s, um, like Michael Bay in Bad Boys, like not Michael Bay, but you know, uh, like in Bad Boys when they they're doing like the, 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 the gunfight doesn't really matter. You know, it's not like a tactical gunfight. It's a Michael Bay gunfight. So they do the slide up and fire two rounds over the desk, not looking at anything while making quips. You know, what the hell are we doing here? I don't know what the hell we're doing. You know that shit? And the desk is getting hit by bullets. And it's like the only way that it could be getting hit by that many bullets is because the cops are blind firing at each other back and forth across the police station it's literally the only thing that makes sense to me the only possibility and like the second i thought that because i'm thinking this in real time they cut to gabriel's character crawling around without a fucking gun and it's not shooting at anybody and also just like if you i guess nobody cares about this shit like, in Hollywood, except for, like, David Fincher. And I don't work in Hollywood, so not me. But, like, you do need to have a sense of where things are happening in your scenes, especially if the scene is in a really obvious area. And this is, like, for writing and, like, comic book, like, anything. Give yourself a map, either in your mind or on paper, of where things are occurring in a scene. If you're in somewhere that is so easy to see where everything is, like a police station, and where you can, like, it's almost like having, like, because this police station is a huge open-air police station, right? Like, where this fight is happening. There's other shit, too, but it's a big open-air bullpen with, like, a fucking 10-foot ceiling or a 10-story ceiling, uh, huge glass windows, and all of the, the desks are arranged in lines, so it's it's almost like fucking graph paper levels of like I can tell where you put stuff up. The place is literally aligned. You know what I'm saying? Like I I know I know how fast the character's moving because I can tell you've done nothing to like hide your edges functionally speaking. So you know, I, and I know like some actors or some directors are really really anal about stuff like that like David Fincher who's going to make sure that like these guys are shooting in one direction and not another. So I know that this character, Gabriel is up against this wall, creepy crawling. Like she's like one fucking away from the wall, one desk length away from the wall. And these guys are on the opposite side of the whole thing. And then the other cops are sort of spread out to the, to the right. So like there's, These cops are just absolutely shooting at each other. And that's a great detail. That would have been fucking hilarious if they would have leaned into it and just been like, hey, yeah, the cops are shooting at each other. That would have been dope. Stop fucking shooting at me. (laughs) Just not listening to each other. Fucking like killing each other. Fucking that would be hilarious, dude. What What a great horror scene. And also it could speak to like, Gabriel is like being a like a clever boy, you know, like, oh, he got the fucking cops to shoot at themselves. He's, he's he's spreading panic. That makes sense. Dope. All right, cool. There's also the best scene in the entire movie happens during this uh, this whole thing, which is, by the way, it's towards the end. And there is a lot of dog shit ass movie to fucking slog through. Uh, Gabriel sits in a chair normally, you know, like and like kind of gets up on it and then does this like hammer toss. And throws this fucking chair literally a hundred yards through the police station, and just smashes the uh, the the detective Shaw and his his fucking partner like in the face with it. They just get blitzed and fall against the door. It's amazing. Oh my god! The, the only good part of the movie, and like literally still interspersed with dumb fucking parts. Uh, let, let's talk about fucking Gabriel for a second. The most, um, like, you can tell James Wan is very proud of Gabriel as a monster design. A lot of care was gone into him. You can tell, like, everything about him screams 15-year-old jotting furiously into a composition notebook during lunch. Everything about this character. His fucking, almost everything he wears is, like, just absolutely uh, hot topic chic. (laughs) He has this hood, right? And this is the hood is kind of how he hides his face because his face is on the opposite side of his sister's face. And so, He can see out of it, and it's like uh, one of those, I don't know, like a parka hood, I guess. It's the kind that are a little tube-shaped off of the face for extreme cold weather so that it kind of holds the warm air from your face against it while not letting the wind hit you directly. It's one of those, so it comes like tubular off the face, really covers the back of the head. And um, after that, it's like a trench coat that they're running around in backwards. And it's like a really well-designed coat, which is kind of sucks because you never – See them in it. So the the twist of... Which it got me. I have to give it to him. The twist of them being a conjoined body is protected too much. And so you don't get to see a lot of the killer. And they're always in shadow. Their cloak is black. The coloring in this movie is no... Not good. I hate it. They do basic bitch horror color grading so everything's in fucking everything's fucking blue the whole movie's blue so if you don't know blue and black eat each other they go together better than anything if like blue just fades right into black because it goes into purple as it darkens and then it becomes black there's just not a lot of light in blue and and, in general i mean think about it roy g biv B.I.V., all of those color, colors super seat, or superimposed on black will make it just vanish. You know what I'm saying? So every fucking scene this guy's in is, is blue coded. So we have blue on the screen all times. Blue, 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 blue. And, you know, if you you don't have to, you do not have to shoot a horror movie in blue. You can shoot it in just natural colors. You can just not fucking color grade it like that. Uh, a lot of the best horror movies ever are actually coded green. Um, David, uh, every fucking David Fincher movie from the nineties is green. Um, Seven is green. Fight club is green and it gives it a very, very good feel. I, I feel like, so blue is good for a few reasons. Let's talk about color theory for, for a second. Blue is cool. It's, it's calming and it, like I said, it actually works really good. It eats black. So if you have a lot of day scenes and you transition into night, your your blues will really fade in. So if you want a faded, cold, austere look, like I was talking about a couple weeks ago with, um, with uh, help me out here, American Horror Story's new season, then you know that's good. And it works better during the day. It makes everything cold, too. If you want to code the screen as being um, very winterish, blue works. And that's because of a lot of different reasons. Our brains naturally associate blue with the ends of the day. And we're talking about uh, blue overlay. You know, if you do light blue, what you would consider sun blue, um, that's actually just normal coding. So, like, this is kind of hard to describe. Um, Sunlight's blue For whatever reason, it's white to blue And it's very, very, very bright, right? You know, you think the sun's yellow, but that's just some incidental shit um, Generally, the light that you see with when you go outside is blue That's why when you're outside in moonlight and look inside people's houses, their light looks yellow It's because that uh, false interior light, and this is becoming less prevalent as LED catches on um burns at a uh, lower overall frequency, and it is uh, help me out here. It burns at a lower frequency and um turns yellow. So we actually flip that. So you know, woo, real hot. and so those those really desaturated blues in sun in sunlight and in the sky actually lend themselves to very crisp colors, right? there' It's very nice. It's very close to white. The darker blues and the violets, you know, that you get when they tint these screens because they're putting like a pretty, pretty mid blue over over it, you know. And they're 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 not desaturating it, but they're they're decreasing the opacity. It's not like they're putting the color blue on there, but you know, you gel it, and so you make it blue. It's like day is night type shit. Um, if you do it right, the way that they they kind of did it in this movie and American Horror Story, I got it. In my stuck in my head now. You can get that nice cold somber sweatery feeling people's eyes can turn like a nice if you do the contrast right they can turn a nice black you know from a distance which gives them a lot of expression but also makes them a little alien looking so you can see the way that people's eyes move um if you put one of the reasons to put on eyeliner and stuff is to make your eyes look bigger right because it's just contrast doesn't make your eye any bigger It's just the way that the contrast works in regards to your face. It gives you a larger, more expressive eye, which makes people trust you more. And, like, it creates a natural human um, impulse, you know? And so you can achieve similar things with your color grading when you're doing stuff like this. And also with the contrasting and all that shit, too. It's fucking out there. But in this movie, everything's blue. And so, you know, this fucking coat gets ate up. Now, if you do something like Fincher likes to do, which is code shit green um, and you, so everything's, it's green. Green light is uh, the kind of light that you see in gas stations, like, yeah, like a gas station light. You know, like uh, if you stop at the gas station and go inside the store, like Quickie Mart and shit, that light tends to be green. Those are whatever the fuck's phosphorescent, which is between obviously blue and yellow so it's actually a little bit hotter colors can really work in it pretty well you know um yellow tends to be very comfortable because it's more like firelight and stuff um and you know the the way that you saturate the colors and the way you move them but green is almost always it makes people uneasy people do not like green coating and so it works really good for stuff that's supposed to make you uncomfortable like Shows about stereo colors and stuff. And you can mix all that up. You know, you don't have to have the whole fucking movie be blue. Uh, You don't have to have every episode of the goddamn American Horror Story be fucking blue. And uh, never mind. I'm getting upset at American Horror Story again. That's for later. But because you're choosing your colors incorrectly and your settings incorrectly, you don't really get a good look at your character's outfit. You know what I mean? If you want me to explain this in a way that'll make a little bit more sense, think of... um. Yet again, Halloween, probably one of the best creature designs, quote-unquote, ever. Why? Because they really understood what it would look like. They spray-painted that mask white and cut the holes out for the same reason I was talking about earlier with contrast and eyes. When you have those bigger, empty eye sockets, that just naturally sets people off. But the white will always contrast. And it makes it look like he's floating or that he's larger too. Because with that one contrast point and just the sort of much darker, his blue overalls that fade into the black, the black eats them, the white doesn't. And so your eye is drawn to the white and will adjust to that white so that all you see is this sort of inhuman face floating in a doorframe. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. It works and it works in in multiple other cultures too Japanese no theater does the exact same thing With their masks and the color of their masks In Japan and a lot of I think most of East Asia White is associated with death White skin um, Very white, white, white Not the fucking pink that we call white people These days But actual white skin is a death pallor You know, pre-bloating Almost everybody will turn whitish or if if not actually just flat out pale like a mealworm and you know your brain knows that that's kind of like playing with with really hard salt solidities like that is kind of how you make scenes and shit pop it's How you make stuff look cool just fucking just is like you don't have to fucking you don't have to have you know a, a film studies degree to figure this shit out i'm not i, I <laughs> if it if it sounds like I'm talking out of my ass, it, it''s it's I'm, I'm not. like this is just basic shit about how color works. It's accessible to all people. You could have learned about it in in third grade and known it this whole time, but we underfund our arts programs. That's how simple that this stuff is. But I digress. Um, the coat is fucking cool, though, you know, but you can't see it. I think the best look that you get before it's just actively shown on screen with them out of it at a certain point is in the second kill where he stabs a guy to death in his sleep. And he's like right on top of you. He's about, I think he's a full two thirds of the frame almost, or at least two thirds of the action in the frame. And you can see the whole thing, but you can't really see it. And and it's not, It's not a good enough silhouette where you're like, oh, the silhouette's fire and it's doing shit. And it's also not really silhouetted. Like the the area behind it is just like a dark bedroom, which is stupid too. Because if they would have moved that fucking bed into a different part of the room, like one of the scene, the points of that fucking scene is that like she figures out that this guy's dead because she thinks she's having ESP, which kind of comes out of fucking nowhere. And like is never really gone into again because that's the one place where it fucking happens, and then she gets fucking arrested like after the next kill. Um, so she goes in there or whatever, and there's a big fucking red sign on top of the next building, of literally fucking seventy foot by twenty foot glowing red neon sign.
3: Bzz-k, bzz-k,
2: bzz-k like that fucking thing, you know, that's the fucking sound effect that they use for it. Or I think they do. And so it's glowing into the room the whole time and just missed fucking opportunities. Turn the camera a different direction, move the bed so that it's against the wall. And then the wall will be white. If you have it blue coated and you shine a red light onto a black jacket, you might get some black highlights from the reflective parts, but because it's blue plus red, it goes to purple fucking black fucking blue eats black so it'll just be perfectly dark and then the white wall behind it would be glowing red while he's slashing this thing this dude to death how fucking cool would that be the blood goes up on the wall fuck yeah fuck yeah dude dope basic shit basic cool shit instead we just get him like fucking stabbing this dude the stab effects are all fucking VFX shit. Um, you can kind of tell. I think the uh, I think it's superimposed shots too, so it's not even like like you could have him stab a dummy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and if you do it where it's in silhouette, it doesn't matter anyway because it's in fucking silhouette. People's faces will or people's brains will fill in the details on the silhouette themselves and just be like, okay. Because of the the law of juxtaposition in film, I have seen fat guy here on the ground on, on in the bed getting ready to get stabbed in his fucking dumb face. And this guy with a knife, right? One, oh, a top-down shot of a guy sleeped out. Oh shit, it could be anybody. He looks like my uncle. And then, you know, you have the fucking Gabriel over the top, and maybe that's the first time. You can get a little face reveal, something like that. I don't fucking know. Something a little bit better than this fucking like. Dude, the shot is like literally static because I guess it has to be because it's fucking, you know, whatever. It's it's super in post, so that'll be easier because they're going to edit them both together in post. But like, it's just fucking like over the fucking shoulder of this lady, like looking down. Oh, there he goes. He's getting stabbed. Instead, you could have done something really fucking dope and cinematic. Blood all over the fucking walls. This thing stabbing. Also, he's got a fucking, he's got a knife. I got to talk about the knife, but. Um, you know, you could just done something like that, and then there would be something else to linger on too. Just because the white and the red, you know, the blood's red. If you use the uh, red enough, the right color red of blood, it'll be white against the wall. It'll be red against the wall, right? And then when the light shines, it'll blow it all out. So it'll be all red. So imagine that lingering. You know what I'm saying? Throughout the next shots. Because you can just have, you can have whatever natural light you want provided coming in through a hallway or something. Or just have it just be like, hey man, it's fucking blue-ass moonlight. Don't worry about it. As long as the intensities match in the scene, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it can be, a, it can be literally like a soft blue light and it's like whatever your second light and then your fucking big-ass main light's this fucking red thing that keeps blowing on and off. But imagine that, just zooming out or something. And there's these fucking big streaks are on the wall. The blood's dripping down. And the girl's just freaking out or something. Like, you could have do so- done something like that. Instead, of we just get like a, no, no, do it. And little fucking fart stab noises. Boo. <sighs> Gabriel has a knife that he makes himself. And I hate it. I hate it more than almost anything else in this movie. Cause it is stupid. It here's the thing. We go back again to Halloween. It'll be my baseline Halloween. What does Michael Myers kill people with knives? He finds around the place, but it's almost always a chef's knife. Something that is very similar to the knife he got his first kill with. He went, got a knife from the kitchen, and he stabbed his fucking sister to death because she was hot, and she had big boobies, and he didn't know how to fucking deal with that. Blah, I'm an incel. Blah, dead. Dope. Every time he comes back, my my man finds a fucking knife. He holds it like a fucking dildo in a stabbing motion, he fucking walks at people weird. Michael Myers, literally perfect. Freddy Krueger. Try hard serial killer murder baby. But if you think about it, what was he accused of? It was raping kids, the bad touch. He's touching kids. What does he have on his hands? A fucking glove with knives on it. Like literally, oh, he's touching kids and his knives on his hand. Oh, how fucking cool is that? Dope, right? That it just makes sense. Fucking. And then if you get to Friday the 13th, you know, really kind of all over the place with their kill implements. Obviously the machete is the most notable, but the real thing that kills people in Friday the 13th is Jason. So Jason being big as fuck all the time is kind of how you can show, you know, that's what it is, all right? His body that can never be killed is also the most dangerous thing about him. There you go. Keep going. Fucking Leatherface, chainsaw, sick. The Thing, infecting people, dope. Uh, Pennywise the Clown, It, always changing into people's fears, but always has the red balloon. Calling card, dope. All right, cool. You get it, you get it, right? It, it's the implement, the costume, the person. Like the fucking holy trinity of serial killers. Like to the point where even fucking Dead by Daylight gets it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um. And in this, you have Gabriel. All right, fine. Whatever. He's a backwards lady. (laughs) And you have his coat. And his coat's cool. You can't see it during the entire fucking thing. I feel like if you would have done something, because, like, twins, right? Let's get back on it. Twins, right? Duality. Why not have some color in it? Like, it's a parka. It's got these tufted... Parts on it right black like think like a crow's feathers type thing why not make those like lightly white you know what I'm saying or 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 make parts of it like slash through with white so that you can actually see his silhouette when he's moving yet again all of them Freddy has that fucking hat right and the claw he does the walk with the, the arm out and his silhouette is always backed by something bright he's always got fog or something behind him that's lit so you can see him when you have uh, Jason, Jason's got his fucking hockey mask or his bag head on, on sometimes. And he's got, he's got a lot of where you can really see. And you know the, they have strong silhouettes. And if you want to make this dude a fucking sneaky little baby that creeps around in the middle of the night, you have to have something about him that stands out. Case in point, scream, right? Uh, scream, white mask. You can tell where he is and when, he, when, he, when he's moving around and stuff. Just something. It doesn't have to be a fucking white mask. Although, as you are now probably thinking, that is a very effective choice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> something about him to show to show that he's around, and uh, they they just don't quite do anything at. It. But his fucking implement is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It is just a leftover chunk of shit from his first kill, right? He beats this fucking, he beats the lady to death, the fucking hospital administrator, or whatever the hell she was from the first scene. He beats her to death with her own, like, hey, you're such a good doctor award. Cool, I'm fine with that. And uh, you would think that that was the end. And you think also that you're like, oh, she's gonna get stabbed with this thing because this thing is like a point, old school point of light award. It is like the base of it is the size of like cantaloupe and then it has this fucking spear thing with a hooked bottom on it that is literally two and a half feet tall. And it's very pointy. It's something I actively would not want to have in my house. Like it's it has to be dangerous. I don't know what it's supposed to represent. Oh, yeah, it has a caduceus. I think it's supposed to be sort of like a caduceus spear. Never mind. Uh the snakes, whatever. It has the snakes around it at some point, but like. He he kills her by beating her to death with it and breaks the thing and then keeps it. And then he goes and he goes to his lair and he sharpens it with a fucking angle grinder he has to have. He, and he ends up having, which is wild because well, we'll get to that. When you see his lair, you're like, okay, so like we're in the loft of some like downtown building. There is a fan, a, a vent fan for a warehouse next to his workbench, which is at the gable Of this thing, literally, my dude, a fucking eight foot fucking vent fan constantly circulating. Very 90s. I like it, but it's huge, huge. Definitely a factory fan. Wrong. We found out later that this is the attic of the lady's mansion house, which is also extremely dangerous because the lady falls through the fucking floor 20 seconds later. But he has an angle grinder up there for some reason. I guess maybe he found it down there. But like when you see it the first time, like how does this guy have a fucking angle grinder? Like what is his deal? How does he know how to use that? Like how is he planning to sharpen that thing? Did he have to steal an angle grinder? Was it already here? Who's paying for power to this place? And he was sort of like some of those things are answered. How is he getting in and out? He's carrying a whole fucking body. And like, I want to see stuff like that. And obviously it's kept, it's like I said earlier, the secret of him being the other half of the woman is like kept a little too hard. And so you get scenes like this, which are just jarring in how goofy they are because it is just such an obvious scene that requires explanation that when you're not given any, and you have been watching Malignant up to this point, you're like, well, this is fucking additional stupid. (laughs) <laughs> some of it's explained and he's got an angle grinder up there and this award that this woman made or won was for some reason made out of solid like carbide steel like it's it's like fucking actual hardened surgical grade metal it's enough so that he can sharpen it and fight with it later he holds it by the little curved part in his hand and he can throw it and it embeds itself and stuff and doesn't just absolutely crumple. So it has to be like, it doesn't shatter. So it can't be super hard. It's not fucking pewter. It doesn't bend and it sharpens silver. So like it can't be copper. It can't be gold. It it could ostensibly be silver, But no, because it would have bent and it would dull immediately after he cut the guy like six times. Like, you are he's stabbing dudes in the face. In the face with it. Like, that's just straight bone-on-bone contact. It's not going to have any fucking sharp left in it if it's made out of silver or anything literally less sharp than just steel. So, this woman was awarded a fucking block of marble the size of a fucking cantaloupe with... A two and a half foot spear made out of solid steel on top, sharpenable, solid steel, complete with a huge caduceus around it. Who carried it for her or with her to leave the place where she won the award? Like, here you go, Susan. Here's literally a hundred pounds of shit for you to fucking carry. 50 pounds. I hope you have a fucking strong shelf at home. Don't put this on top of a bookcase. It will literally kill anybody it falls on. The dumbest thing ever. And this is what he kills people with for the rest of the movie until he gets just a cop's gun. (laughs) It's so fucking stupid. And here's where I think they could have changed that
3: up, right? The movie ends dumb. I guess I'll just talk about it real quick. She gains control of her mind back. The
2: main chick, right? And I guess she just doesn't have to face the consequences for her actions or something. And the end of the movie is a I don't need no man. I am strong woman on my own. I am, I am powerful. I will not do this anymore. Which is so, it's so dumb. I love a good woman's empowerment narrative. This is not one of them. I don't know why she feels empowered. There are literally... 70 dead cops, 20 dead female prisoners, four dead random people who worked in a psych ward, and I'm not going to lie, I don't know if any of what they did was actually unethical. I mean, I guess there it was it was implied and like she had to do some tests, but I mean, giving cognitive tests to a young girl who has her grotesque twin Grotesque, malignant, mean, evil twin growing out of the back of her fucking head is 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 pretty wild. Also, she's just like, oh, you know what? Actually, I am as strong as him because I decided to be, which is not how strong works anywhere, you know, because I mean, it's not like a, a slight difference. It's not like she was putting like a power limiter on herself. You know, and just being like, well, you know, I'm just not going to do things. Which would have made more sense. Like, if, if there would have been parts earlier in the story where she avoided conflict, like, physical conflict knowingly. Or, or, or you know, maybe even, like, something something strange would happen happened where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 hinted at. But no, this th- this thing is fucking capable of literally, like, doing a fucking quadruple flip. Of a, of a full hospital bed. Hospital bed, like, you know, the kind that can get wheeled around. Those things have to weigh like five, 600 fucking pounds. They're not like, they're super top heavy or super bottom heavy machines, like basically to keep people alive and, and moving around in a hospital. And he just flips one. It goes like eight times and lands on his her sister and crushes her legs. And I, I guess she gets fine with that, but yeah, she's just like, now I'm strong. I was, I was the strong in my heart all along. It's like, yeah, were you? Because the one thing you managed to do was prevent him from just outright killing your sister. And that is a small victory in a, in a, a, a war of failures. <laughs> it's so fucking embarrassing. But, man... Things I would have changed about that movie, other than the entirety of the movie and stuff I already mentioned, I think the main thing would be just so many changes to Gabriel. And one of the things that's most irritating about him, and I mean, first off, so this girl goes through, or woman, as a girl, goes through a major elective, I guess, technically, surgery, to remove her additional twin that is fused to the back of her spine and skull. She has surgery from literally six inches, seven inches above her hips to the crown of her fucking skull. And no one noticed there's not a massive scar there. I mean, obviously she has the long hair, but like the husband never talks about like her he's an abusive piece of shit. Why doesn't he ever talk about like her gross scars or like her weird smell or something like that? You know what I mean? Like give him some fucking character because I want to hate him. So he has to have something to hate other than just like, I beat up women. Like, yeah, okay, dude, you're in a horror movie. You're going to die now. I get it. But like, you know, maybe maybe something a little bit more. Because he gets his head fucking crushed. And you're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's still a whole movie left. <laughs> but they do this to, to basically remove as much of it as they can. But like, it's her brain and its brain are like, indelibly connected whatever the fuck reasons movie reasons so they, they just chip off part of her skull or something like that and kind of just put it over they mush his face brain into her fucking skull which i mean just excluding the fact that that is just would kill the fuck out of anybody like you can't just put pressure on the brain i mean maybe a little bit like tiny bits at a time but uh those are called those those give you headaches and migraines like a a blood vessel literally as thin as a hair swelling a bit in your brain will give you like unbelievable fucking you know nausea and stuff. As far as I know, I guess I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure shoving the amount of matter or volume of a human face and also chunks of a brain inside the back of a child's skull. I think that will cause brain damage. I am not a doctor. This is not a medical opinion. This is just me being relatively sure jamming a fist into a brain will do damage to it. And I could be wrong. I've said it before. (laughs) God damn it. So, you know, whatever. But I feel like you can just get rid of her husband character and solve like a million problems right away. Take her out of that big fucking house take her stupid fucking abusive husband character away because he's he literally just clogs up time and he doesn't provide anything to her character other than the inciting incident of head hits wall, which is <clears throat> bullshit. And there's also like a bullying thing in like regaining your power here too because she gets bullied by like the prisoners and by her husband and by Gabriel. But like she kills literally every one of those people like within minutes of being bullied by them. So... It doesn't make me feel like she's a victim. It makes me feel like she's a fucking time bomb. You know. <laughs> because also none of those female prisoners really deserve to get their fucking necks inverted. But I digress. Make her a loner and a weirdo who hears voices or something, right? And and she just lives alone. Abandon or or just abandon any pretense. You have to have a selection here. Either it's going to be an action horror movie, or it's going to be like an intense horror film, right? that That's kind of like with this the the basic bones of what you've got. that's kind of the only directions you can go, in my opinion. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense to like make this like half action movie and half like introspective, like deep and that's why a lot of the parts I didn't talk about, like literally maybe an hour and twenty minutes of this entire film is this woman's plotting incompetent ability to understand like why things are happening to her at all. And she's almost by fault of the plot, never involved in the investigations of her own like health and stuff. Like the, the, the fucking detective finds out that she was part of the thing. Her adoptive sister goes and gets like the deeper medical records from, the fucking house on haunted Hill. And she doesn't really do much. She experiences stuff. She's a victim. It's weird. It's like being with a kidnapped victim the entire time and like never finding out why they've been kidnapped or really caring. And it's, it's, it's horrible. So like, let's just go with a better, a better, let's, let's abandon the, um, the action horror aspect and make this like a little bit of a plotting thing. All right. So do we have to be in Seattle? Let's just... Okay. I guess we have to be in Seattle. Bad apartment. That's how we start this off. She's in a shitty apartment. She's a nurse. She's overworked. Let's just just say it's fucking COVID, right? And she's she's sick and um, she's overworked because some of the other nurses have stopped coming into work. People don't know what's wrong with them. And like... There's a like a general malaise around her ER. And she's been like thinking about stuff and blah, blah, blah. I won't, I'll try not to go too into this. But like uh, whatever, like a, a patient hits her fucking head and we'll have that be the inciting in, inciting incidents again, right? And so she starts going fucking crazy. And then we need one more person in this. We can have it be the detective. We can have uh, Detective Pretty Boy, Kakoa Shaw, can come back in. And him talking to her and make him like a little bit more interesting. I don't think our guy can play him. I think we need somebody to be a little bit more her age and speed for her to play off of. That's another problem with this film. Everybody seems to be either older or younger than our main character by like a bit. Like she just doesn't have any sort of like psychological connection with anybody. Like, and it might just be the dryness that she's written with, but I I don't know but have him be like that you know he's whatever he's investigating like the disappearances or or or, or like the illness that's breaking out there or something like that the the lights are bad and just have it like kind of just her finding out more and more weird things about herself and then she realizes like it's in me soon after right and have it be like basket case or something where she has to try to figure out like what the fuck is going on, or or it's going getting getting worse and blah, blah, blah you know, something like that. Something. Like, I'm not going to get too much into it. And have you know Shaw also be dealing with that sort of stuff too? And then you can have like the duality. She's dealing with like you know, should I just fucking kill myself or 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 turn myself in? Like, what do I do? Like, even when I don't do anything, I hear him like talking in the back of my head. That kind of thing. And then have, like, Shaw being dealing with, like, oh, man, like, I haven't gotten laid in 10 years. Should I let this serial killer lady keep going on? And what, what should we do? And blah, blah, blah. Something like that, I feel like, would just be a much better intro premise, you know. And and it would kind of, like, earn the title of Malignant a little bit better. Malignant is a good title. I like it. But it does sound like something slower More plotting something like cancer, you know, growing slowly over time and getting worse and worse and worse. As opposed to just like, hey, man, uh, you hit this bitch in the head two times and she will kill an entire police precinct. (laughs) Whatever. But the final thing I would have definitely changed is either make it so that the face is just still there and not coming out of the back of her skull. Because I don't even know how that would work without actively just killing the fuck out of her. Um, or, or have his whole body back there. I, I think a nice thing would have been to like have him capture people. Like just imagine the reveal scene where someone's just like, I know about the, the thing, right? And she's standing behind, the, behind our, our main character and our main character's hands just shoot back and grab her from behind. And she's like, what? And then this thing's like grotesque uh, malformed talon hands burst out of the back of our woman's, like, scrubs, you know. And it's... And then it starts dragging her closer. She's like, no, no, no. And then when you... you it, the camera cuts to, like, the main character chick's face, and it's just, like, blank. She's just, like, literally... And have her, instead of being, like, oh, she's a sleeping beauty. She's very peaceful. She's in repose. Have her, like, literally look like an, like, just drooling idiot, like... Like her soul has been sucked out of her fucking body, like make her like her jaws like working up and down. I think that would be much better because that would also scare me, like for her too. Because like, what what the fuck do you do about this? I don't know. And I think uh, I think with that, I'm going to wrap up my discussion of malignant. Uh, don't go see it. Don't spend money on it. If you've got HBO and you've got two hours that you don't want to spend on literally anything else, I would I would check out Malignant. But that, that's, that's about the best I can say.
3: The other thing we're going to talk about today is Candyman, the much, much anticipated 2021
2: revival of the uh, legendary film from the 90s, Candyman, which was also one of the movies that it took me literally like my entire fucking life to finally watch the originals also hard to find for for some reason and i i'm i'm not sure why the like farewell to the flesh and all the sequels are kind of like everywhere but the original one is like we had to like like go out of our way to rent it on on some fucking thing so it was made in 92 and it's part of a three series, three series run, 92, 95, 99. 99's really pushing it for an old school slasher type. I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy. Like Candyman 92 is really at the end of the reign of slashers, too. Um, the 90s were just kind of like a notorious pit of of bad movies it 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 is kind of where the slasher genre died and also kind of where it's um maybe it's its worst aspects i think um not not on maybe in a creative way but in a hmm what do i say it? most of the things that i don't like about slasher movies in the horror genre as like a greater part of it come from sensibilities of the 1990s. I think I've talked on here before about like uh, the early 2000s horror r- pseudo renaissance where they tried to make horror movies with any functional quality at all. <laughs> uh, most of the horror movies of the nineties were just bad bad, 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 bad from, from like, kind of like in a, in an overall sense. And, you know, that's not like everyone. There's always standouts that kind of like make it. But for whatever reason, the 90s was just not there with horror. And what was there was a lot of rehashes, redos, um, and, uh, you know, just like the 15th sequels of stuff. Like we go to a Friday. Let me, let me put this in here. In a different way. But Friday Friday the 13th, I think, was getting up to like 20 sequels. Friday the 13th franchise. Yeah, so it started back in the 1980s, right? And, God, I mean, they had a movie. They had a Friday the 13th like literally every year. And then once you get into the 90s, they actually kind of end. So 93 was the end. Jason goes to hell. And then we didn't have another one until Jason X in the 2000s during the big renaissance. So I guess you could almost say Candyman kind of was at the end of it. And, you know, I'm thinking of this. I might be thinking of this in a fucking in a sideways way because I'm thinking of 90s horror VHS rentals, which is basically 80s horror movies and early 90s horror movies. So I could be a little bit sideways on how I'm remembering this. But Candyman was definitely like a late entry. I do know that because it's not really canonized. Um at least by I guess you would say like by white audiences the way the rest of them are um Freddie fuck you know you, I don't need to list all the titles off um and it's it's definitely I think, as far as I know, the only slasher with uh where where the where the slasher, the killer themselves is a black guy. I mean that that's that's probably not true, true, but definitely amongst the big ones, it, it, it's most certainly true. And I think that's probably for a few reasons. People were trying to not be gigantic assholes in the '70s and '80s, and uh, and having just like black people as the scapegoats for violence, you know, um, it was was at least a little bit passe by then. Uh, gay people were not treated. Quite so well, uh, trans people were still very much super evil. <laughs> you have, you know, um, Silence of the Lambs and all that sort of stuff in the in the going into the nineties. But the point I'm really trying to make is, um, it's a really interesting film. I'm glad I saw it older too. I might not have appreciated it as much when I was younger. It's it's very, um, it's surprisingly artistic for a horror movie, um, especially from that era, you know, especially for a fucking slasher. The arty bits of, of slashers kind of fell apart, you know, um, in, in, in the great glut of the 1980s. And <clears throat> Candyman has a lot of really interesting scenes. I think a lot of it comes from it just being from Barker, you know, and, like, there's one scene where, so, like, the, the duality of people, or you got back in duality, mirrors, and uh, obviously are very important. So, if you don't know this, actually, by the way, um, Cabrini Green is a dog shit ass public housing development. that was just beat up as fuck. And uh, by the 90s, it was, I think, pretty much defunct. If not, I think it was partially demolished and almost completely abandoned. Um, I could be wrong, Um, but when it was originally built, it was just kind of one of those things from that era where it was just a really good idea that was obliterated by greed, racism, white saviorism, a lot of we know better than now" type stuff, so little little mistakes and big mistakes were made top to bottom you know just kind of everywhere something was fucked up and one of the most interesting ones was that the mirrors in the bathroom to save money were actually would actually like there the hole that was cut for them would actually just go straight through into the next building so if you punched the back of the fucking bathroom mirror out it would actually walk into the opposite version of the next apartment which is done in the original Candyman movie and not in the new one um, that I know of. And the interesting thing is like she goes through the mirror, right? And it's just a mirror. And then when she comes back out on the other side, it's the screaming mouth uh, painted on the wall of of the Candyman, which is just one of the coolest fucking scenes um, in a horror movie ever. It's just, it really kind of hammers home. Hey, this is what's, this is what's going on. And more to the point the Candyman story um, is based on real murders that happened alongside those mirrors. There was a guy who was killing people in Cabrini Green, and people the women, a woman famously said, there's a man trying to get in my house through my bathroom mirror, and they're like, Oh, you're insane. And she, she's literally just describing a crazy situation that was actually happening. It killed her. And um, you know, sort of the rest is history. They I think they eventually caught the guy, but He did it a bunch, killed a bunch of people, robbed a bunch of houses. And it was just really, it was just well known that that was a problem in Cabrini Green. And it's kind of a good analogy or lead in really to just sort of how rotten to the bone the place was just because it was, it was just born wrong as a, as a conceptually, as as an idea, you know, everybody likes a baby, but if that thing comes out Harlequin, you're going to be pretty fucking frightened and it's not going to live long. <sighs> that just made me really sad. <laughs> that just made me super sad. But um, the new Candyman is great. I love it. I, I think it's just a good horror film. Um, I, in talking about the original Candyman, I think that it has been canonized Possibly too much, and especially too much in recent years to be this sort of cultural icon and explanation of like black culture and 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 stuff. I, I, it's kind of hard to put my finger on, but I think that that view of the original is a bit gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a great movie It's it's amazing um, It's still flawed It's still very It's still old It's kind of dated in its techniques um, And I wouldn't put it In like the top 100 movies of all time Definitely a top 10 horror film But not like you know One of the best executed movies ever Like it's just, it's just not And that's not a knock You just can't always be that good And especially I mean it's Candyman Like horror movie and I, I remember it from being on the shelves you know back in the day and it's just looking like literally any of the other horror movies but it was cool and it was it was good and first most importantly it's a Clive Barker fucking story and it was not originally American Clive Barker is uh from the UK um I think he might be Irish I don't know, but you know, it's English and it's based around um, classism in England. And then for the film, it was reconstructed to become what we now know as Candyman and very well done, very well done. But also I don't think the intent of the movie was to make a grand set in stone depiction of things. And most of what it accomplished to that degree was sort of incidental to interpretation and uh and 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 sort of just you know the kind of hindsight of latter years. I don't really think and it doesn't really show in the original movie at least as far as I saw a
3: extreme uh, in a very extreme
2: statement of intent, you know what I'm saying. Uh, about being like a um, a racial movie, a very political movie,
3: I guess you would say. I, I think it just handles its uh, themes so well.
2: And especially like for the time that it was in, it could have been extremely bad and it was just really well written and it got lucky in a bunch of ways and made it, kind of extraordinary you know what I'm saying and also the more the the more politically charged stuff was layered in well enough that a lay audience could come in and enjoy it as a horror film which is functionally speaking in the American system much more important than simply making anything about racism because we are capitalists and we are fundamentally evil and they won't let you make more movies if your first movie doesn't make money and you know, first and foremost, it is a horror film. You know, you got to have you got to have the intro. <laughs> Painting must still be paint, after a fashion. Don't get don't get into deep descriptions of fucking art with me right now. It's, it's, after a second, it, once you start getting into subjective interpretations, you just might as well just start saying, actually, we should just all say nothing because we're technically saying everything. And it's fun to do brain stretching things like that. But I'm I'm trying to have a conversation that other people are going to understand even though I'm sitting alone in my house. <laughs> but yeah, the original was released October 16th, 1992. I was five, uh, by TriStar Pictures and Polygram Filmed Entertainment. It's directed by Bernard, Bernard Rose, who made a few old school horror movies, Paper House. I've never heard of it. He made Candyman, Historical Romances, Immortal Beloved, and oh, he made it in Anna Karenina. Not nah, so yeah, not, Probably not a guy that was kind of hopping into this as a director and just being like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, on, I'm bringing 15 pounds of theory books into this, <laughs> which I actually think is probably for the better. And I, I'm, I'm saying all this because I'm going to get into a discussion. I read an interesting um review of this film that was very scathing uh, from a black woman and because I'm a white guy that enjoyed it and she said that white people would enjoy it and she's a black woman and that's why she didn't enjoy it. Fundamentally, her associations with the content uh, were bad that I really want to kind of get that out there too, so that I can kind of get those ideas. And in, in addition to mine, because they actually did—they did make me think more about the goddamn movie than I wanted to. At first, I was just like, "This fucking review is stupid as shit." And then I was like, "All right, okay, I got you." I still don't agree with her a hundred percent, but on certain things, especially just considering how differently they were presented. And um, yeah, to kind of end that, I will say that the original Candyman definitely. As in all art is political, but not in such a way where it was um, a primary intent of the movie. I think I think they were first and foremost making a horror film and were lucky enough that the content of it and the delivery of it facilitated a powerful political message in, in, inside of it. Um, so that kind of brings us to the new Candyman 2021, which I did enjoy. I like, it's a fucking solid horror film. As far as, as far as I'm concerned, um, the original Candyman is a slasher, but it definitely feels like a more seventies slasher and and opposed to an eighties slasher. I think that's kind of why it stood out in my mind as being different. Um, eighties, the eighties slasher genre, the big body count, um fascinating kill you know subsection of the slasher genre that it really became known as until people started reassessing the films in the like late 2000s mid 2010s um were yeah they were high body count they were very low brow titties asses fucking flesh flesh and blood you know cocks and fucking knives just a, a bunch of a bunch of fucking blood and not a lot of thinking to be done in between of it. And it's fun in its own way. You know what I'm saying? Sort of deciding on which direction to go. The original Candyman is, I recall fairly brooding, calm, um, almost not really a slasher in my opinion. Uh, it's kind of an investigative movie. And um, I like that aspect about it the most. I think my favorite horror films and i really need to write something like this um i have a few things in my head but uh, are are the investigatives they are always like some of my favorite things when when somebody has to go and try to figure something out because i I believe that horror and the mystery genre are the two that best serve each other like because you never really have to say it's a horror mystery like it's just a it's just a horror you know or a mystery and the difference doesn't really need to be plainly stated for people to enjoy either aspect of the film, as opposed to action horror or comedy horror. At which point, you're like, "Well, this might be severely, severely uh, not my not my cup of tea." But yeah, you, you know, we follow that the we follow the little lady around. She's got her camera, taking pictures, doing interviews. Hey, man,
3: you don't better not go into Kabini Green, Kabini. Damn it, I'm stuttering. Cabrini, Ka- Cabrini Green.
2: Hey man, you better not go into Cabrini Green alone. It's fucking dangerous. Some people are scary. I think I'll be fine. Blah, 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 blah. And you know, as she gets deeper and deeper into it, she can't quite get out, and it becomes much bigger. And it's like, oh shit, is the is the legend real? Which I really, I really enjoy. Similar to films like you know, The Ninth Gate, um, even Jacob's Ladder, after a fashion. Figuring out the deeper facts behind what's going on. It's even what I like about Secret Window, although I guess nobody likes Secret Window other than me, so I could be completely off base about all of this, but (laughs) I digress. Um, The New Candyman (sighs) doesn't do that. The New Candyman, how to describe it? I would have liked it
3: maybe a little bit more if the guy was something of a
2: reporter type or maybe even like a documentarian. Somebody that has much, much more draw to the curious aspects of the Candyman legend. He kind of just gets tossed into it. And even though I saw the movie just a few days ago, um, I can't remember what the inciting incident is for him to go to Cabrini Green. Oh, I, I do remember. He um, he goes there to uh, kind of reinvigorate himself because he's a... The, the main character of this, by the way, is... Um, I can't remember his name. I can't ever remember any of these people's names. It's not like it... It doesn't really, really matter. Anthony McCoy, um, played by Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. He is um, a snack of a man. He's in incredibly good shape. <laughs> it's... Uh, to the point he he's in in entirely too good of shape to be like what he is in the film i feel like <sighs> he f- seems a little miscast and i don't i don't know why i just feel like he's way too jacked to be a uh like a like an artist <laughs> and i know you know there's artists out there that are in really really good shape but there's a lot of this goes into, um, and I'll get into it, but a lot of this goes into his own mental degradation as he gets closer and closer to the legend and the truth behind the Candyman himself. And he he's in too good a fucking shape. It's the same problem with Patrick Wilson playing a fucking... Pre-cardiac arrest, 65-year-old fat guy. He's Patrick Wilson. He's like literally fucking cake. Like, dude, the guy is beautiful. 6'4, fucking jacked as shit. Like he literally looks like he could rip the fucking two by fours out of a wall through the plaster. And I when I see when I get a guy, like I you need somebody that's more like Like a Johnny Depp build. And I'm not saying cast a white guy. I'm saying cast like kind of a still good looking, but like scrawnier, awkward, twitchy dude, I think would have been a little bit better because I would have felt more worried for him at times, too. Um, I can't think of any actors off the top of my head that would perfectly suit that. But honestly, I don't think you really should try to do it with a major actor. This would be a great, a great intro for somebody that hasn't really been seen before. And I'm saying, yeah, just bring them in. Somebody that like, somebody that looks like Tyler, the creator would be fucking fire in this role. Just like awkward, you know, none of, none of Tyler's, um, Exuberance, you know, but sort of that, that, that lanky build, that kind of like goofy setup. The way, honestly, Tyler the creator, if you kind of like structured this character that this dude's supposed to be on him, you know, uh, the way that Tyler the creator acts in like um, interviews and stuff, and pulled back some of the, a little bit of the campiness, I think that would have been a much more interesting transformation. Over the course of the film. And it's not to say he's not good. Like, he's, Abdul is a good actor. He's a fucking, he's a fucking beast. He does what he can with the role. Um, but there's just not a lot to do with it. And um, if you don't have the right sort of like face and uh, poise for certain roles, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna translate well or it'll translate in a weird way and i think that's the case with him being such a jacked gigantic dude there's parts where people are afraid of him but you're like is it is it because they're afraid of how much he's changed or is it because they're afraid of the fact that he could like literally just beat their head in with a rock if he felt like it and that's that's what i don't like as much about his casting but he does a great he does a great job in the role so like i said he is a um, painter, right? He was formerly very successful growing in his career, but his career hit a stall. He lives with his much more successful girlfriend who he's in a serious long-term relationship. They live in some sort of, I don't know, some fucking place in Chicago. It, it, it doesn't matter because you don't really see much of it. Some place where they'd never see, some place where you never touch sidewalks, actually, if you think about it. The closest thing to the ground floor is actually his art display, which is the only door outside of Cabrini Green in this that actually opens up onto a sidewalk or grass. Everything else is in apartment hallways, uh, large windowed high-rises and such. And I think that might be intentional. Um, I like it. I wish it would have been addressed a bit better. The intro to the movie has this uh, really pretty long shot of skyscrapers in fog and you can't quite tell if it's the ground that's foggy or if they're stretching up into a a low-hanging sky and it's very desaturated and contrasty and dark and it's really good really good mood setter and uh this is a more
3: laid-back slasher film too um there is some upfront gore. Pretty much
2: most all of it is off-camera or in the dark on camera, which is what it is. And it it, it begins, like I said, with Abdul kind of or not Abdul. What's the what's the character's actual name? Anthony. Yahya yeah, Abdul Mateen. Yah, ya, yeah, ya, yeah, ya, yeah, yeah. Anthony McCoy. So um, McCoy, 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 McCoy. So McCoy is a um, artist. He goes around. His fucking art dealer is a cunt. All the white people are fucking dog shit in this, which I'm fine with. Um, His art dealer is a like, if this was a slightly funnier movie, he would have been played excellently by um, Jonah Hill. I just have Jonah Hill is just in my 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 thoughts and prayers right now because everybody's seeing all these old interviews of him where everybody treated him like shit and it's the saddest thing I've ever seen and he probably doesn't want anybody looking at those because he's kind of like come a long way since then, but he's a uh, he's that sort of build sort of like um, slightly chubby feet wishes he was super cool white guy um, if you went to college you know this dude he is a creeper. He um, hits on his like ladies that work for him, his interns. He's that kind of guy and a uh, taste maker, trendsetter, rich kid who's basically a gatekeeper to anybody who's coming up. So, you know, in that way, I feel a little bit of kinship with McCoy because he's also not like from nothing, but definitely not from the sort of money where you can just buy your own publicity. He needs to. Um, he needs to kiss ass and shake hands on the way up. And everybody past functionally speaking, his girlfriend is, uh, is white people who don't take him seriously and, um, who are actually just actively demeaning to him. I think every single white person in this movie that has like a named speaking role condescends to McCoy at some point, like literally every single one of them. Um, and so he goes to Cabrini Green. Obviously, the towers are long gone. Um, and he sort of walks around and he gets hit up by some old guy who's wandering around and runs a uh,
3: a local, uh, what do you call it? A laundromat. He runs a laundromat. And laundry is just his life.
2: I. <laughs> the, the movie actually starts with him in a flashback um, accidentally outing the original candy man with a, with a normal, like it's just a man with a, with a, with a single arm amputation and uh, an assistant hook on his arm. You know, the, the old school kind from the the eighties and nineties where they would move their hand and the little hook would close and open. Um, so he, <laughs> yeah, he, he outs that guy to the police on accident and basically sees the police beat that dude to death in the basement of the Cabrini Green projects. And later on, he just starts a laundromat, (laughs) which I guess, you know, it's supposed to speak to like holding in your own internalized like conflict, maybe kind of just instead of addressing your trauma, like owning it in a way that, it becomes your existence. I've, I don't know. The The movie is pretty shot through with uh, some heavy-handed political stuff, which I don't give a shit about because I, you can't offend me by having dumb fuck white people on screen. It... <laughs> they would my 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 quote-unquote race has done everything in its fucking power to earn all of the the shit that it gets so i just don't give a fuck like if you want to make fun of white people for an entire movie as long as it's not boring i'll watch it i don't fucking care um but it is it is apparently grading to um more politically sensitive white and black people on both sides, all sides of the aisle are, are, have complained about it, which is interesting. Um, obviously, you know, in the horror industry, having anything be quote unquote political uh, can, will result in, you know, I just didn't like it being so woke. I was watching this and I wanted to watch women die and a woman did die. But before that, someone reminded me that black people are people. And have gone through some bad things. And now I just don't know how to feel about myself. So I'm here on Facebook. And I hate you all. And I wish you would make things that made me comfortable. And not uncomfortable. <laughs> imagine, imagine the thing that makes you uncomfortable in a movie where like 20 minutes into it, like a woman's throat gets slit by a sharpened hook. And she just bleeds like choking to death like on her own blood. And you're like, man. You know what really bugs me is the scene that was in this exact same place like 10 minutes earlier where like that white lady condescended to this black dude. Like anybody does that. <laughs> Take like, out your fucking mind. Um, and I you know I guess there's probably fucking folks that are are are, are my same color if not disposition. They're like, I really liked it. I think it did everything it needed to do which obviously is also not true. Anybody that thinks you're going to fucking make a movie in the era of the Hollywood system and it's going to, people are just going to be like, Oh, you know what? I, I no longer support Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm for socialism. Like you're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> the, there is, there is power in art, but there is not as much as I think people desperately, desperately wish to believe there is. Um, which if you kind of keep that in mind, the, you, you can, better understand the amount of harm you can cause as well as the amount of uh, help you can give harm is always much easier to do as it is in real life. I don't think this movie is harmful at all. I don't, I don't see any issues with it in any way that makes sense to me, but I am of course a white person. So, you know, some people just disregard my opinion is, is there perfect right right off the bat um it's just it doesn't make sense but I, I do want to talk about this review by angelica jade Bastien. um candy man is a soulless didactic reimagining and uh, this this woman is a vulture she's or maybe she's a new york columnist but this is on Vulture. I don't know how this works, and I, I don't care. I, I don't care about these publications. I don't subscribe to them. But this came up as uh, as a result when I was searching through stuff, and so I decided to look at it. And uh, I can tell that she was pissed when she started writing it. This is definitely a, a went home. Let's see. It was released on August twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. The review was so. This is like literally a preview screener. So she, I, I feel like she just came home and just started fucking typing. I mean listen listen to this this first graph it's a familiar scenario rippling through history white people turned on revved up and outright libidinal in the face of black suffering and black death in this case the scenario involves a curator and the nominally alternative assistant he's sleeping with who speaks in joy division lyrics and clichés they're in a slick but tinny I don't know what I don't tinny art gallery after hours somewhere in Chicago's West Loop. Although there is nothing here that would cue you to the Midwestern location. She buckles him to her belt. They kiss and grind against each other with sloppy hunger in front of a small mirror as the hushed lighting of the gallery flicks between cherry red, icy blue, and the cool gray of projected images. But it isn't just any mirror. It's an art piece by Anthony McCoy, Yahya Abdul-Mateen Second. that, when opened... Reveals paintings representing, in blunt terms, police violence and lynchings in which black people turn into black bodies to be filed away. Um, and it's just so many words. <laughs> oh, she's really trying to resell the scene. I just It doesn't slap that hard for me. Like It just doesn't. There isn't really much about Candyman that really, like, got me, got me. Um, it, it was still a horror film in the end, which I think she sort of gets to, you know, and she does say, uh, there's some sort of nods that, um, this is the uh, the writer here, that she gives to the um, prestige horror genre, which I, I think is stupid. I People that refer to the prestige horror things, that's like very, it's like a Hollywood thing. I don't know. I don't know who you're talking to because you're not talking to horror fans and you don't seem like you maybe talk about it a lot because the prestige horror thing is so stupid. I hate it. I hate it so bad because it's always been around. Like all people mean when they say prestige horror, half the time is just any horror movie that actually uses like three fucking lighting techniques, start to finish. And, like, has a pretty decent, like, chill soundtrack and maybe some decent actors. Prestige horror is just same old, same old, high-assed New York dipshits complaining about the horror genre as though it's less than. Prestige horror means a horror film that's almost as good as a normal movie. Let me, so, if you see somebody that says prestige horror, know that they're about to be a turd and they're, they're, opinions on horror movies can be taken with a thick fucking grain of salt just a whole crunchy rock right there on the molars prestige horror my fucking ass what like so is what what is prestige horror if i can actually talk about that Is, is is the original fucking texas chainsaw massacre not prestige horror like is what is that was that a horror movie what about the exorcist is that prestige horror is it is it just another movie How about The Ninth Gate? That's actually a pretty solid film. Yes? No? The original Hellraiser? Yes? No? What's a prestige horror movie? Fucking dumb as shit. No one ever talks about how these dog shit fucking... If you've never been in a film class, these almost 95% of all indie films are worse than the fucking most bottom-of-the-barrel horror film you've ever seen. Like... People make fun of stuff like The Room and Birds, but that's actually, they're pretty close to most indie films that come out. Like, if you've never seen Brown Bunny, which people fucking try to go out of their mind, out of their fucking minds to jerk off to. Like, not literally, because it does have an on-screen blowjob in it. It's like, this is very, very Oh, my God. Very this, very that, very blah, 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 it's like, dude, this guy is just hammering cliches one after another. It's very, very obvious writing. It's bad. It just has a blowjob, and it's shot real gritty. So it's like an indie film, but it's not good. And then you do that with the horror genre, and everyone's like,
3: it's a genre film. Whoa. Dude, every fucking movie that one of the best ever made
2: Was a fucking genre film And I'm talking about Stanley Kubrick Every fucking Stanley Kubrick film Functionally speaking Save like one maybe Is a genre film 2021
3: of Space Odyssey Or 2001 of Space Odyssey Is a fucking genre film Literally It is a fucking sci-fi movie uh, Goddamn Doctor Strangelove is a fucking comedy. <laughs> it's a war movie comedy. Actually, fucking um, come on, Full Metal Jacket is a war film. Uh, and, and The Shining is a horror film. Like they're all
2: fucking genre. Like. Dude, I swear to God, people that are fucking frou frou about shit—if it can be defined in any genre except for for romance, because romance always gets a pass for some fucking reason—then, then it's it's a genre film. I'm sorry, it's a genre film. <laughs> Dumb shits. Oh my god, that just that shit just pisses me the fuck off. It really does because it's so it's so fucking condescending. Like you fucking know anything, these motherfuckers. And this isn't the. Uh, criticism directly of, of, of this woman it, but literally of the entire fucking like holier than thou east coast magazine movie review fucking snobbery half of the shit they actually like is dog shit too they're only good at talking down to things but she does make some good points in this so let's 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 let's, let's scroll down a little bit more so this is her description of the 92 candy man which I, I kind of agree with The 92 Candyman, written and directed by Bernard Rose, is an unnerving, sometimes outright frightening masterwork. Based on a story by Clive Barker, who is also responsible for the source material of the Hellraiser films, the film effortlessly blends eroticism with the macabre. While Virginia Madsen plays the lead, an ingratiating, ambitious and graduate student, Helen Lyle, it's Tony Todd as the titular villain that proves to be a crucial reason for why the film endures. Yes, its interrogation of Chicago's history with gentrification remains vital and fascinating. Yes, the kills are well-paced and evocative. Yes, the production design is dense and sensual. But Todd's magnetic performance beckons and beguiles. His Candyman, while brutal, is also seductive. He doesn't so much say Helen's name but purrs it, drawing out vowels and consonants until they have a music of their own. He glides as he walks. His gaze is direct. He isn't a simple slasher or wisecracking murderer. He's an emblem of all that America loves to forget the blood and bodies necessary to keep the lie of the American dream alive. It's more than I got out of it, but, um, accurate. Uh, I do like Tony Todd's Candyman. I like Tony Todd in general. When you're talking, when I'm talking about like a face and poise, Tony Todd is fucking perfect. Perfect for Candyman. Like he's got those just really like carved angles in his face. And that, Kind of like high chin look he does, and when he talks, how he controls himself, like everything. It's very stentorian, very, very Shakespearean, but with like a big like hit of like black smoke just going right through it. Just real oily, wonderful shit. Fucking snake. And it's it's awesome. And yeah, he's 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 fucking great. It's kind of weird. You don't see Tony Todd and other stuff. I wonder if he's a little stiff in that regard, that, like, maybe that's kind of something he is much more better at, or if it's just, you know, good old-fashioned Hollywood racism, and he, he couldn't find a better part. I think I might have said that the last time I uh, talked about them during Candy. I think I, I, think I did a, one of an HLC on Candyman last year, and I think I said something like that, like, he definitely deserves to be more around. Um, she talks a little bit more about the other stuff in the Candyman and all that. I'm trying to find the better versions. This is probably like if you're a professional, you, you, you highlight this stuff. But I don't do that. I don't do that. Let's just go to the uh, the finale. Um, do, 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 do. Yeah, And then she gets to the one line That I think probably set most people off There's another strange line Uttered by a white art critic Cruelly and stereotypically judging Anthony's work at the gallery It speaks in didactic media cliches About the ambient violence of the gentrification cycle She says Your kind are the real pioneers of that cycle I wonder if it, if it extra stings Because that art critic Talks the way that This movie critic writes And that like when you want to say or sound like you're saying more than you do, add words. <laughs> if you find anybody starts talking like a priest about real basic shit that you already saw, like, make sure you're not being preached to, which is really just the fucking bread and butter of, uh, of critics. She, she continues, your kind are the real pioneers of that cycle. When Anthony asks who the hell she's referring to, she counters artists. It'd be one thing if Costa left that commentary there, but it becomes a through line where black gentrifiers are equated with white ones as if they hold the same sort of power to alter their surroundings and flatten the culture of a place and community. And making Anthony's story so much like Helen's to the point that he almost retraces her journey, even listening to her old recordings about the communal need for folklore to explain the violence of their lives in Cabrini-Green, the film treads queasy territory. Helen was a tourist And Anthony is positioned as one too Even though by the end of the film It is evident he isn't that So much as an unaware prodigal son Returning home This is the molten core of the film Confused politics Intertwined with juvenile artistry In which a meaningful conversation About gentrification is imagined Without the prominent voices Of those harmed by it In that case I do agree Um, it's That's a chunky fucking sentence but um, basically, she's just saying, like, it, it's you're talking about stuff without really like talking about it. You know what I mean? There isn't. Cabrini Green is in the original one very much a presence. People talk about it like it's the Candyman and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? And um, even if it's not, it's just as dangerous the way that you would talk about a, a jungle and the tiger that roams it. In the new one, you're not. In Cabrini Green very much. Um, maybe, maybe even as much time-wise as you are in the original. You know, in the original, um, Helen goes in and out and in and out and in and out of, of Cabrini Green a few times. She goes back to it and then she's, she's in her kind of work outside. But Cabrini Green is always with her. And this is something I will say Candyman fucks up. So I remember this is that she has, she takes her pictures and she's constantly developing them as I recall and looking at them. And so when she's back at her place and I I could be completely wrong about this, but I don't think I am. Um, She has all of these pictures. So you can see Cabrini green sort of infecting her life, you know, like it doesn't stay where it is. It's sticky. It kind of goes with you. And of course, the only thing that has a frame that's around that's not a picture is the fucking mirror. And then you, you know, Candyman, Candyman, and you do that. And so in in the new Candyman, you really don't get to see a lot of Cabrini Green or Cabrini Green's influence. Um, kind of like gentrification itself, all of the black people depicted on screen are, you know, gentrified after a fashion his wife or girlfriend is a kind of hoity-toity french-speaking art director you know what i mean she's very very fancy um her brother is a finger-flipping gay man with a white boyfriend um we don't talk to very many other people that I can remember, except for the one guy that lives in Cabrini Green, which he doesn't anymore. Uh, Billy, the guy that owns the laundromat, and he is a little too crazy to be representative. Um, maybe if they did him a little bit better, that tie could have been stronger. But yeah, actually, now that I think about it, nobody's really. In this movie, <laughs> in, uh, in, in a very significant way, if I go in order of the kills, we have Art Director and his girlfriend killed away from the main character and away from everybody else, but they are directly related to the main character. We have Art Critic, who is killed shortly after his departure from his ha- her house. But she spends about as much time talking to him the first time at the art exhibit as she does the second time. Maybe maybe twice as much. But, I mean, it's a difference of two minutes and four minutes before she's killed on screen but at an extreme
3: distance. Still, I enjoy it, you know, as a, as a sort of story. With her, the closeness of the kills
2: kind of ends The largest kill count to happen between anybody is this group of school kids who do it in the mirror and they are completely unrelated to him. There is a young girl that's killed that might be, I think it might be his sister in a flashback who is um, I think the only black person killed by the Candyman in the movie. And kind of pointlessly, too, it doesn't really make sense that it happens. Um, it was definitely a jarring moment, even in the thing, because we were like, oh, well, you know, he's not going to kill her. Like, he's killing white people. That's that's the point, right? And then, like, the little black girl gets killed. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> How odd. Um, but, yeah, the the kills are pretty distant um, from him. His wife, ends up, or girlfriend, I keep calling her his wife, his girlfriend ends up living through the end of it. Um, and then there's some cops that are killed by him at the end pretty quickly. And, and then that's the end of the movie. Um, the only other black person killed on screen is, uh, is, is Billy. Um, the girlfriend stabs him to death after he attacks her because he's like, I don't know, the, the cult leader of the fucking, <laughs> he's the cult leader of the, uh, of the candy men cult. Um, and he eats a razor blade popsicle for no fucking reason at all. He's an, yeah, you know, the more I look at it, I think in the end, Candyman is very enjoyable. It's fine. I I just kind of went into it. This, this art critic, she got me, but um, I went into it. I enjoyed it. I sat down and I liked the movie. I also saw it maybe two days after I watched Malignant. So maybe I did have a different taste in my mouth, but it definitely wasn't bad. Um, it definitely wasn't. So woke you can't watch it. I don't I don't even understand where the people that think that are coming from. It makes it makes no sense to me at all. Like uh it, it's just like a little bit here and there. The politics are clumsy. If you're heavy into politics, you'll care a lot. And uh I kind of am into the the, the politics of this whole stuff, but even I could forgive it. I, I didn't expect and I rarely do, um Anything interesting coming from Hollywood in a political sense, I, I don't see how it would make it in, you know. Maybe, maybe once a movie comes out that's like, hey, uh like we're pro-socialism, then I'll I'll start listening a little bit harder. But yeah, I just don't, I don't really, I don't see <laughs> I just don't see Hollywood as um being as uh politically evocative as other people do. I understand that things can cause harm, but that somebody would create something that just gives people a perfect understanding of shit. Just, it does not make sense to me. And you know, that's not an indictment of the power of art to change minds and hearts and stuff at all. It's more of an indictment of, of Hollywood and uh, the sort of simplicity of the, you know, the studio system and, and how things are made. You know, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if like some of the changes that were made were things like that art critic being like a catty white lady that is clearly, you know, doesn't respect this young black man's like artistic abilities. She would have been a much more interesting character if she was more sympathetic in my mind, having every single person that gets killed being a, at best a shit heel and at worst a literal racist cop trying to cover up a murder. Is um, isn't the best thing? It is kind of in the spirit of an '80s slasher movie where everybody has it coming. I don't know if that's sort of a sensibility that they were trying to go for. Um, but it's I enjoyed it. You know, I, I thought it was going to be a, a a fun remake of an old slasher film, and it was. It was. And uh, I, I personally do not believe that things have to be so politically efficacious that they are um, that they, they could be they could be taught in schools. <laughs> <laughs> to 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 assume that would be a, a patently
3: absurd. Um, in 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 the end, I would say you should absolutely go see uh, Candyman. It's fun. It's 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 very fun, and I liked it, and I'm, I. What, 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 what could I say about Candyman? This, this lady's thrown me for a
2: tizzy. Because she's right, but I think she's like a little too right. Like maybe you didn't need to do that. Like have you ever seen like a kid riding a bike for the first time? And then you see somebody else come in and be like, well, that's if you were a BMX biker, I think you would ride like this. Very much that same
3: sort of feeling. And sort of in an unnecessary way. Um, a lot of horror movies are just you know cheap, fun things, and that doesn't make them bad
2: or or like low art. Uh, I, I, yeah. I guess she's right. I guess I guess Candyman's not good. <laughs> If you if you consider the things that she enjoys about movies or doesn't enjoy about movies to be the most important thing. My thing is, is did I go in and did I have a good time? I did and I did. Were there things I would have changed? There are things I would change about every fucking movie. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like that. And also, uh, I think most importantly, we should always default back to um,
3: what's his name? God damn it. He wrote coupling. He wrote Rabbit Run, John Updike. I think you should always go back to John
2: Updike's um, criticism or, or, or rules for criticism. And the most important one is, in my opinion, don't judge this by what you're expecting from the film, but rather what the film set out to do. And I think that's why in this case... I would have to more side with the woman who wrote that article, but only if I consider the advertising for the movie (laughs) and the hype around it to be um, integral to the movie itself. I don't watch TV anymore, so I'm not really exposed to commercials but I have seen a lot of the hype around Candyman going crazy. And um, this new one might've been a victim of that hype train. I was excited to see basically like a modernized version of Candyman, which I got. It's very much done in, in modern styles with a lot of modern thinking going on for better or for worse and mistakes were made. You know, it's still a different, it's still a different creator Clive Barker didn't write this one, so it's not going to be as good, more than likely. I think it had three writers, including Jordan Peele, who's... He's... he's, uh, 75% good. Very, very good at comedy. Very, very, very fucking hit or miss at horror. Um, Erring on the side of miss, if it's something that I think is outside of his comfort range. He seems like a guy that would be really good at assisting things, horror-wise. Like... He could definitely pump up something and make it better, but I don't know if he can start from whole cloth and make stuff that's particularly good. Um, if you want to just talk about Jordan Peele, um, get out, get out good, if not necessarily original. Us, very
3: original, not particularly good, very boring, very stupid um <laughs> in both premise and execution however some very good acting which is dope but yeah i'm 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 definitely a person
2: who in my my personal opinion is the more writers you have on anything the more likely it's going to become disjointed and bad and I don't know if Jordan Peele started on it. I don't care whatever the reporting is. It literally means nothing. People in Hollywood lie about everything start to finish in a production. And you'll never find out until like 20 years after that person's dead what actually happened. So I, I don't I don't care. It, it means literally nothing to me, whatever they have to say about it. But I don't know if, if he came in later to assist to try to get it up to like better standards or if... It started as his thing and the other people were brought in. I don't really understand how writing with other people works. I don't like doing it when I have had to do it. It's been miserable and it has ultimately resulted in an inferior product, in my opinion. There should be editors, you know, but there should be one writer ever. It's like you should only have one cinematographer. You know what I mean? You <laughs> let, let that person set that fucking shit up and and go, in my opinion. But you shouldn't have four people trying to fucking reuse this fucking lens over and over and over again. I think if you really want to know why, think about the Justice League recreation, where it was versus where it started and where it finally ended when you had other people brought on You can just see how much, you know, one vision can get compromised. And there are people that write in teams, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. But actually, Trey Parker writes fucking everything. He is the writer, start to finish. He writes the whole episode, the whole movie, the whole story. And then Matt Stone comes in and it's just like, hey, what if we did this here? What if we did that here? Which is actually editing. But it's still considered a writing credit, which is fine. Because ultimately, the end result is is, is perfect. I think... In the case of Candyman, there are definitely some writing errors. Um, most notably, the lack of other characters. It's like now that I'm actually thinking about it, it's, she made me think critically about this thing, and now that I can't stop my brain, it's just going. There really aren't any other characters aside from Candyman and his, well, you know, uh, McCoy and his girlfriend that have, anything else going on in their lives. Um, he is trying to do stuff. He has a goal that is not the goal of what is happening to him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he wants to be a big artist and shit. Not, uh, he does not want to become the Candyman. So there is conflict. You know what I'm saying? She, is, she has her own life going on and she loves this guy, but this guy is going crazy. Conflict. And she does her own shit. On her own to try to solve the conflict. So those two are characters. The dude that owns the fucking Sack of Sud's laundromat is not a character, really. He is a dude. He comes out, he provides exposition, he leaves. They go back out there, he provides additional exposition, he they he leaves. They go back out there, he provides conflict point. Then he fucking dies. You know what I'm saying? Like, that man just exists to put out exposition. Um, fuck. Damn it, now I'm going in. Uh, the gay brother exists, like, basically to provide exposition and be uh, the gay brother and provide some, I guess, LGBTQ, um, like, token existence in the film to some degree uh, by being in a relationship with somebody and like out the only thing he does is provide exposition. (laughs) He tells a ghost story that nobody wants to hear at the beginning. And he goes with her to empty out her apartment. So he sort of facilitates the movement of another character. But other than that, He does not have his own interests. He does not have his own goals. He does not have any sort of interaction with the plot. Um, All of the people that get killed have almost nothing to do with the plot except for the first person that's killed who serves as a dual role sort of as both an agent character and the display guy. I feel like he could have been split up into two people and maybe you could have given like the LGBTQ representation to that version of him, like, you know, um, just have McCoy know somebody who is whatever, you know, but like his agent is this person and is trying to get him to go to Cabrini Green and maybe also working alongside of him, but also not maybe doing very nice to him, something like that. And that guy can be parallel and get into it a little bit and have some sort of impact on the plot other than providing exposition and and just kind of like walking hand in hand toward the end of the story. The art director character that he becomes makes that whole plot mini arc thick enough to carry water, but other than that, it's pretty non-existent. The girl that gets killed next to him has literally no purpose other than being a hot alt chick who dies. The schoolgirls have no purpose but dying. Um... And they all die at once, which is kind of lame. And they die very far away from the plot of the movie. If you literally cut them out, nothing would change. And they get, they get the good old-fashioned like last-minute asshole justification, which I always consider lazy writing. Um, it's okay to kill people that people like. In fact, it's actually dope, and it makes you— really kind of a cool writer. Like, if it's so hard for you to make a character that's actually interesting and likable that you, you refuse to kill them off, you are in the long, wrong line of work, especially if you're in horror. So, like, it's okay to kill somebody off that's, that everybody likes. People will be mad at you, but that's fine because the purpose is to make them feel shit, not to make them happy. It's fucking horror. Horrify. And these kids are... On screen for literally the time it takes Them to die which is about five Whole minutes with an additional 30 Seconds for the girl that initiates the Candyman thing and then Another girl who has I Think literally no speaking lines But she's, she's a black girl with big Poofy natural hair she's very adorable She goes into the bathroom To sit on a stall and like her existence is literally to just be bullied by the white characters, so that you don't feel bad when they get slaughtered a second later. It works. I was just like, I was like, I was literally like, why are we killing these random, these random like fourteen year old girls at this school? And then they they bullied the one girl. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead, kill them. I don't give a shit. Fuck them. <laughs> but I mean, that that really is it. Then the art director chick, she's killed. She has nothing to do with the plot. She has, like, less than nothing to do with the plot. She's a very interesting excursion that after the murders are found in the art gallery, McCoy is called back up to her apartment to do a further interview because she hasn't released her review of the art gallery yet. Now she wants... Apparently, she's a fucking journalist all of a sudden, and not just... And I mean this... and the grossest way and meanest way I can be not just a critic, uh, which if you're a critic, I'm sorry, but that's literally, that's all you are. And understand, understand that you are, a, are, you are, you are a small thing.
3: And that's why everybody treats you mean in movies because you're a poop. But, um, <laughs> <sighs>
2: I had to work alongside those people when I was a journalist and I didn't like them then either. I hate fucking commentary people, even though I'm a commentary person now myself. But um, the point of her is just to have him come up to that apartment and maybe implicate him in a murder, but I don't think he ever is implicated in her murder. I think they actively say that they're suspecting her husband. And I think it's because it's like, yeah, This is America, so if anybody had a fucking inkling that this fucking jacked 6'4 black dude was in this white rich white woman's apartment literally fucking five minutes before she was killed, he's probably going to go to jail. (laughs) So they just skimmed right over that one, and then I guess he sort of gets like, they sort of look for him a bit after that, but it should have been way more intense, I think. Um And also, he had nothing to do with the murder. It happens away from him, so it's not very intense. But the intensity kind of comes from just knowing that, like, we live in fucking 2021 America, and, like, he is literally innocent of a crime and yet was on scene during it. So, like, I'm afraid for him because he's going to get, you know, murdered by the police probably, which does happen by the end. Um, One of the few things that feels, like, fairly earned if not because of the way that the movie is just because of it understands the times we live in. So yeah, he's fucking like in pain and shit and gets killed and very sad. And then those cops get murdered too. And those cops are not in the, in, in the movie until it's time for them to die either, which is, it is a very convenient film. I do have to say that, but I think it's carried by interesting performances all of the characters are... They do their best. Like, all of the people that are on screen are really trying to pull it out. The score is pretty mediocre good um, in the the grand scheme of, like, horror scores. I don't think it does anything particularly interesting or noticeable. Um, unlike the Malignant soundtrack, which is literally just the fucking Pixies. <laughs> but, like, nobody noticed it but me. I, I I have to fucking stick some of that in here if I can. Um. Yeah, like, there's nothing that really sticks out about the Candyman soundtrack. I think it just did, like, a rehash of the original one, and then everything else after that. It's just good old-fashioned strings and cymbals. Strings, cymbals, and drums. Whatever. Um, Which kind of sucks, because I know Chicago has its own gigantic music scene. This uh, one artist I've been a fan of for a few years, Kanye West is from there and uh he's pretty big he's got a very unique style that a lot of people have fallen they call it midwest style um and it is a a purely american thing that comes from there there's also some small uh unique variants of uh, afro-caribbean music it's called blues Um, was popularized in chicago in that region um (laughs) and it would have been interesting to hear um, some local takes on that in a horror aspect, and don't even fuck with me. Don't ever even try to fuck with me and be like, well, you just want black music in it because it's a black movie. Shut the fuck up, first off. No, I want it because it's awesome. You ever heard fucking jazz music for real? Like, real jazz, like, like in a jazz club? It's nightmarish. It's anti-harmophonic fucking six dude let me just have a horror score where somebody has like 619 time for no fucking reason (laughs) yeah like every song is in seven five and just switches from seven five to four four to seven five over and over and over again throughout the entirety of songs just so that people in the audience are literally like holding their stomachs and they don't even know why just like completely fucking getting ready to vomit Give me some fucking give me some fucking like breakbeat ass drummers and that shit. Like I want a fucking horror movie where the entire score is just literally like variants on a fucking on 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 just percussion. Like literally just percussion and minimal, minimal uh harmonic percussion. Like very little like marimba, very little fucking um xylophone steels just fucking I want some shit like that. I, I if the soundtrack is good, I always remember it. That's one thing I can say about fucking uh, us. I didn't like that movie overall. Not only, I didn't hate it, but I would definitely say it was like a five, a six, pretty mid, pretty hits, pretty mid. Um, you fucked up having uh, what's his name in there because I fucking hate him. Uh, Jesus Christ, what is that? something. Good show. He's the other half. He's the dude, he's the fucking chubby white guy from uh, the comedy or whatever the fuck. I I hate that fight. Tim and Eric. He's Tim or he's Eric. I can't remember which one. I fucking hate both of them. They are the most grating human beings on earth. Their comedy style literally causes me physical discomfort. I'm sure they're nice people in real life. I hope they are because if they're not, I'm surprised somebody hasn't shot them for telling a bad joke yet. Jesus Christ. But the soundtrack to us is fire that um I got five on it, remix whatever
3: it's great,
2: that's great. It's a great reimagining of a classic song. it's integrated into diegetically integrated into the um the story as a whole like it it's perfect it works it works fucking great it's. Also thematically relevant because it's us. You know, you have the thing that you know, oh, this is the nice song, this is us, and then you have the horrible song, oh, blum, 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 that represents the 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 darkness. Yes, very good, very good direction, very good overall woven shit. It's just that the writing and the overall plot in us is so fucking stupid, it it literally hurts me. It causes me pain. The twist at the end is senselessly dumb. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why the fuck would she stay down there? If people could go up and down, why do they do anything? How do they get out? What the fuck? None of it makes any goddamn sense. Needed a little bit more thought. Get out makes sense. Get out makes perfect sense, start to finish. Also a little funny. I like it when it's a little funny too. I would like to meet an us version of myself. I wonder how... I think we'd get along. I think we'd be fine. He'd be down there eating fucking rabbit and he'd be like... Ah. Eh. I'm always fucking like terminally depressed. What if you're just absolutely fucking miserable all the time? Is your is your other version down in the basement just like smart guy? Like happy? Like, is it a mirror opposite? It's so fucking it raises so many questions that are just like not like Oh, it's fascinating to take this concept further. It's like you haven't even gotten to the end of this concept within this own within its own fucking universe. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. How do they fucking? How are they strong? They only eat fucking rabbits and they live underground away from sunlight. They should be like deathly ill. What are they drinking? Where does their shit go? How do they poop? When I, do they go to the bathroom? When I go to the bathroom, do they all have the same bathroom? What happens when I fly? What happens when I ride a train? Does he just have to fucking jog to Japan? They just turn off for a bit? What about people that work underground? Like deep underground, like a miner? Would your us version of a miner just be walking around on the surface because he's got to go the opposite direction? Just like fucking around in the middle of West Virginia? (laughs) The only people the only people that actually get us people are just really convenient uh middle class, upper middle class yuppies in in on, on the in the bicoastal areas. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Final final scores is uh is definitely gonna be um Candyman ahead by a bit. Man, Candyman almost got a fucking eight, and then that that lady came and fucking shot its knees out right in front of me. How dare she? I would say fi- in, 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 in Final, in Tota, I would say Candyman, six seven six seven. Pretty good. Pretty good overall. You know, decent, decent, decent film. I enjoyed the fuck out of it. I like the ending. The little shadow puppets are fucking cool. Malignant, I would give it a
3: zero. My heart says zero. Like, yeah, I would give it a zero. I would give it a null score. Which is like, I don't feel like it's an
2: like it's a real movie. I I don't I don't I don't think the experience is correct. I feel like I tried to experience a, a cassette tape as a greeting card or something. Like it just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Malignant is almost perfectly bad and not particularly enjoyable because the parts that are actually hilarious and fun are buried in a two hour long movie where a woman does her best Dakota Johnson and 50 shades of gray impression f- as the only thing on camera for hours, for hours, man. And it ends with her being victorious and just being boring as fuck about it. Now I know that I was the real malignancy. She doesn't say that, but that's such how it feels. Fuck, fuck that movie. Fuck that movie. Um. All things said, thanks for sticking with me. This is another long one. I enjoy talking to you guys. And these two movies just deserved to be talked about. I hope that you enjoy this uh, HLC over a few weeks. Hopefully uh, two weeks from now-ish, maybe three, we will have the um, release of Don't Want, the one of the mid-season stories. I'm going to go real hard on it. I think it's going to be like an hour and a half you know, I'm talking about movies and shit. If I actually like work really hard on these little audio things that I put out, they end up being as long as a real movie. And, you know, I put a fuckload of effort into them. So aside from not filming anything, maybe it is okay that I put these out a little bit more rarely. Um, in other news, sin carriers is going along. I've just written one of the first subsections of it that I thought of, um, Basically, every story I write has about five to six hard pieces that are like the first strands of a spider web that you got to put down, right? And then once you get to a all, you kind of just start doing
3: that circle. And I've gotten to number three of six-ish, which puts me at about
2: 65-75% of the way through the book because all the other ones are it's usually backloaded because it's you know major prop, plot revelations and shit. So, yeah, that means nothing to you guys as far as a scale of anything, but thank you for listening to it. And with all that said, don't forget to go buy The Eyes Beneath My Father's House available in ebook and on paperback in paperback. Maybe next time. Next time, apparently they sell hardbacks now out of Amazon, so I can make a hardback too. If you see a bunch of other authors you follow, all of a sudden just being like, hey, we got new designs in for a hardcover edition. Uh, that's why. And you know, now that I know more about the public- publishing industry and I can just like make new covers for the book that I've already fucking laid out and printed and it would cost me nothing to do. Really makes me, it just really makes me hate the publishing industry all that much more. But yeah, go check out The Eyes Beneath My Father's House. Follow us on at wsfairytales, facebook.comslash westside WestsideFairyTales. And hey, if you fucking hated anything that I said, Tyler, you're a dumb fuck, racist, white boy, piece of shit, socialist, you fucking gay agenda pushing motherfucker. My grandpa fought in Vietnam for your right to fry hot dogs on the 4th of July and not get vaccinated, you piece of shit. Send those all to westsidefairytales at gmail.com. westsidefairytales at gmail.com. And uh, I'll respond to you. I respond to everybody. Um, big shout out to everyone that's already bought the book. Um, I am going to be starting a thing. If you have an ebook version or a hardcover version, right? And it doesn't matter what kind. If you've bought any version of the book and you would like a signed copy, a free additional signed copy of the paperback, I'm going to be doing a giveaway from that. If we can hit 100 reviews, I will give away one paperback. And if we can do 200 reviews, I will give away five. Does that sound fair? I think that sounds fair. Five paperbacks for 200 reviews if we can get up to there. Yeah, five signed paperbacks. Maybe, maybe three, because that would be six total. Three would be better, because that would be four. Three, I'll give away three signed paperbacks and we get to 200. So yeah, right now, we're going to try to push to 100 reviews on Amazon. And uh, if you didn't buy it, and you still listen to it, you've technically experienced it, and uh, you should still go and review it on Amazon. Much love, and thank you all so much for your time. And as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com/westbygod.